Helios, I trust that scratch hasn't made you useless. Hardly, my lord. It's just an eye. God so fit to grace me with a spare. A hunchback traitor has led Xerxes' immortals to the hidden coat path behind us. The forces you posted there were scattered without a fight. This battle is over, Leonidas. Battle is over. When I say it is over. By morning, the immortals will surround us. The hot gates will fall. Spartans! Prepare for glory! There is no glory to be had now. Only retreat or surrender or death. Well, that's an easy choice for us, Arcadian. Spartans never retreat. Spartans never surrender. Let each among them search his own soul. No retreat. No surrender. That is Spartan law. And by Spartan law, we will stand and fight and die. A new age has begun. An age of freedom. And all will know that 300 Spartans gave their last breath to defend it. Two minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 in this the month of November in the year of our Lord 2007. Thank you for coming along, making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. And uh, greetings to you. It is Tuesday, and welcome to Day 12. Yeah, this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Our cavalcade of whimsy begins now. It's 503 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. If you comment, your clarifications, your conventions, your two cents, uh, your what have you, you want to email us, you can do that as well. It is rick at rickemerson.com, sarah at 970.am, uh, or tim at 970.am. Has somebody adjusted the lighting in here? It's brighter. It does. It seems brighter. You know, I think Matt actually fixed this light. Some, it hasn't been working for no, months. No, these are, these are not immaterial. These are outdoor garage lights. Really? Yeah. Are we actually using remember, lights from the Griswold this was patio? The Scotty tried to fix. Yeah, see, these are outdoor lights. Do you remember when Scotty said, do you remember when Scotty set fire to that lamp? I think... Okay, we have two things going on in the studio right now, neither of which really apply to the audience. Of course, we'll spend endless amounts of valuable airtime talking about them. A... How do I put this... We ought to get a picture of the studio someday, because it is pretty pretty badass, uh, and put it up so people can see where we work. Because, you know, normally radio people come on and they, they, they bitch and moan and convention and whine about the, wherever they work. Not the case with us. The studio's fantastic. Uh, and I just, and it really, you get, a, you get a, a finite number of chances to work in a glorious facility in radio. Because usually you're just in some hole, you know, which is fine. You know, all of us have spent a long time, you know, I mean, look, I'm not trying to bust on the coin center, but we were in a place there that was not necessarily conducive to, you know, or meant for broadcasting a midday radio program. So that, it doesn't really matter. All that matters, my friend, is what comes out of the speaker when all is said and done. But I will say that this studio is wonderful. 
Uh, it, but it's sort of set up like one of those suburban kitchens where there's the island in the middle of the kitchen that has the stove and the countertop and where the kids sit and they have their Pop-Tarts in the morning. And then there's the actual open free kitchen area around it. Well, we broadcast it sort of a radio island here in the studio. There is this big sort of, uh, what shape is this counter? It's a U-shaped counter. It's not Dillant in the middle of the U. It's not really a U, though. It's, it, it's a U bordering on a V. It's... I don't know. There's probably it's like half a, of an octagon. It's a horseshoe. It's sort of. I was just gonna say it, it is kind of like a horseshoe, except there's no gap in it. In the horseshoe. Is this a trapezoid? Are we sitting here at a big trapezoid, or is it a? It's not a rhombus. What's a rhombus? We're getting dangerously. I can see that hat thing happening right now. We're gonna back up. And my point here is that we're broadcasting at this big island, and then we have all of this sort of wor- free workspace around us here. So we're sort of in the middle of the donut, as it were. Um, this middle section of the studio where we actually sit and work is much brighter than normal, but I think they've also re-angled some of the lights, and so the sort of outlying area here in the studio is much darker. So it really does look more and more like the Charlie Rose show every single day here, which is a good thing, as Martha Stewart would say. Uh, all right, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, Richie Bristol is now standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about whatever, the interesting, the tedious, the groundbreaking, the mundane, or the just plain weird. It's 503-733-2970. We play a little 300 there at the top, and we don't take a lot of time usually to stop down and discuss the film clips we play at the opening. I will say two things. A... I did have this idea last night that I was going to take that, remember the 5th of November, and, and sort of crudely redub it, remember, remember the 6th of November, and then play it today for some sort of, but then I decided, what's the point? I completely choked, I muffed it yesterday, and there's no getting around it. We played it at noon, but we didn't play it at the beginning. It was the 5th of November, My one out of 365 days in a year, is that applicable? What did I play? Marky Mark talking about his penis. All right, so there you go. Yes. Not only did you play it, you what talked about it 15 minutes afterwards. I know. Court from Court and Fatboy caught me up at the show. He's like, you know what would be great is if you play a uh, V for Vendetta thing today. Oh, sorry. And, you know, and then sick burn, and then went back to typing away. So, All right, it's 503-733-2970, but that 300 speech is great, and if this doesn't exist already, look like many of you, I've spent a lot of time at Kinko's in my life, and if you wander through a Kinko's, they have that little rotating kiosk of books when you go through, and it's a whole lot of management secrets of this and five most productive that and 17 habits of highly successful whatnots. There ought to be, a not because it would be any good, but simply because it would sell to idiots uh, like myself. I mean, you're talking to a man I have at home. I have a copy of that, the Klingon way. Management secrets from, you know, management secrets from <laughs> of the Klingon business empire or whatever. And it's just a bunch of crap from the Klingon culture that they just slap together into a book. And they put like a, a picture on the front cover of a Klingon holding like a ledger and a balance sheet and a slide rule or something. And I bought that. Why? So I could apply Klingon business secrets to my everyday life. Also because I'm retarded. So they ought to be selling one of those now called the Spartan way. And it would show a picture of a Spartan, but like standing in a boardroom, standing at a long sort of rectangular conference table surrounded by white men. And he would be standing there, and because that's who buys those. That's who, it's the same guys that go on those um, Iron John weekend retreats. You know what I mean? What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go live in the woods, and I'm going to wear a loincloth. And then other men and I are going to hunt the savage beast, and then we're going to drink Lowenbrow. And then we will reclaim our masculinity. So those guys love to buy books like that. So somebody out there right now, maybe an unemployed writer, maybe a writer who's just on strike, you want something to be working on in your downtime, you create a business or management guide uh, based on 
you know, quasi-regal crap from, from the age of Sparta. There you go. There's your golden idea for the day. I try to do one of those every day. There it is, Ken. Done up top. Okay. Uh, here's what else is coming up today. We'll talk to CNN radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, apparently, Pakistan is just descending into anarchy and chaos and looting and burning and whatever. Or at least that's that's the way it looks in my mind. I think it is, though, because they, they, were, they arrested another 2,000 people last night. So, and I guess they're keeping people like... I don't know, locked up in a big cement place somewhere. The, the, the guy who runs the joint is either under house arrest or not under house arrest. And he's either taken over all of the state broadcasting entities or he hasn't. No one really knows. So I get the feeling at any what point... What would be on a state broadcasting entity had he not taken it over? You mean in Pakistan? Yes. Um, seems like I'd have a funny rejoinder to that. I don't know. Real I think it's... fortune. I think... Were you just... Was that a setup just so you could say Wheel of Misfortune? No, I, I was setting up things for you, and then I was no. forced to save the comet, and so I had to... I don't know. Do where is... Mediocre. What is Bollywood? That's India. Okay, well, so so they might have Bollywood programming on Pakistani television, because that borders India, and the cultures... I know they're not really fond of each other, but the cultures intermingle to some extent, which means that they'll just... Maybe if you turn on Pakistan, Pakistani television, they just have that talking paper bag, but it's the one with the beads that says... My Fandango ticket is a glorious bounty of loaves, or whatever it is it says in that Fandango spot where there's the Bollywood paper bags. That makes me giggle. The man, I dig those Fandango ads. You know, a well they're done. They're very clever. They're fantastic. Uh, it, and I shouldn't say that because I was making fun of the Caveman Show for being crap. And, oh, is that still on the air? Well, Peter Carlin loves it. We'll talk to him oh, later no, today. Um, but you know, the, I was making fun of that Caveman Show for saying that it's not funny unless you look at the screen. Like the writing is terrible. But when you look at the screen, the caveman show becomes funny because it's the juxtaposition. But you know what? That's the same thing with those paper bag ads. Because like where the one paper bag says to the other one, yeah, and sometimes we go clubbing. It's, it's not funny, but it's funny when a paper bag says it. <laughs> I mean, what do you want from my you life? You are a little kooky today. I'm not. I'm, I'm perfectly fine today. Okay. I'm wonderful. Uh, so Lisa Desjardins will join us about blah, da, da, blah, da, da, blah, Pakistan, blah, da, da, blah, da, da, blah. Uh, CNN Radio Correspondent James Roop will join us today about the strike, which continues to get like it's in two hours on the yesterday, because he's right there in the belly of the beast, sort of. Um, anyway, so uh, we'll talk about the uh, the strike, which I guess already started to hit the late-night programming. I guess they were running, what, Letterman and Leno were all in reruns last night, all that stuff? I guess so. I haven't watched that show in 20 years. Well, no, and, and neither do I, and don't get me wrong. It's, I, I love Letterman. I will always... Isn't it funny? We were talking about this with the, with the spy versus spy thing in Med Magazine. How you just early on pick a favorite, and then even when you've stopped reading or watching whatever it is, your allegiance is still with whatever, mm-hmm. even though you don't. You know, it, like it's like an Oasis versus Blur thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I really follow Oasis at this point in my life. I kind of have the first, you know, four albums, and that's kind of really all I need. Uh, but you know, to this day, if somebody were to come, Oasis versus Blur, Oasis, you know, and I would be ready to, and I would be ready, Spartans, to go to war against any Blur fan. It, well, I don't even care about Oasis and Blur anymore. But I just picked loyalty, and there I was. So you're right. I haven't watched Letterman or Leno, but I guess they were both in reruns last night, which is sort of weird when you consider the fact that. Presumably, Letterman and Leno... Ah, uh, no, I, I can't go down this road because it's going to make me sound snarky, which is the word of the month. And I, it's going to make me sound... It's going to make me sound like an a-hole. So I can't... I'm going to ponder these thoughts in my head. I'm going to let them percolate. And then maybe I'll bring them back with Jim Roop later. Maybe. I don't know if I was... I don't know if I want to say what I was about to say. Uh, which, of course, is always an indication that I will eventually say it. Uh, and then we'll all be made awkward. So Lisa Desjardins, James Roop, uh, we'll talk to Steve... Ka- Why am I talking to Steve Castamon again? Something exciting. 
Are oh, you yeah, talking to him a... about the Hollywood labor strike and how it's affecting New York? That's right. It, it, well done, Sarah. Thank you. I and plastic you? bags. And plastic. And of <laughs> course, they're trying to ban plastic bags. That really is a hard news for today. Uh, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian will join us and defend the caveman show again. Uh, let's see. What else? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, we will have the top five. Today we will spin the magical wheel of time. What year will it land upon? Upon what day and date will the wheel of time land? What bad collection of top 40 drivel will we be uh, foisting upon the people today? There's only one way to find out. You'll listen later on. Uh, we'll do the uh, top five wheel of time. Uh, and we'll answer this question. What are your kids inhaling today? The answer, later on. Do you know the answer, Tim? No, I don't. You have the story? I do not. Really? I've beaten you to the punch on something? You have. I almost never do that. I come in here and I'm like, Tim, I have this exciting... And you're like, yes, I've got it right here. It's coming up later. I've got something that Tim does. It's not white out or nail polish? No, not anymore. You can't... You see, you can't huff that stuff anymore. I don't think. And if you try to huff white out, doesn't it just scorch the inside of your nose? Haven't they added crap to it to deny children the pleasure of sniffing it? I haven't um, seen whiteout around. Well, who uses whiteout? I knew a first weird guy who would always walk around sniffing nail polish. Secretaries to the mad now. <laughs> it's called liquid paper. I'm watching that whole season through again. I am too. Really? Yeah. I'm watching. I'm watching. There's nothing new to pique my interest. I'm also go back to the old tried and true stuff. Yeah. No, I'm watching Mad Men season one all the way through again, and then, then when I'm done with that, I will finish Battlestar season three. And then, don't call about this today, because we're not doing this today. Then, not now, then, not now, then, uh, I'll come here and we'll uh, have a whole segment of discussion about what I ought to watch next. So just, uh, and I know that the teeming millions are ready to weigh in on that, but I, we got can't do it today, because I'm, I'm not done with Mad Men and I'm not done with, uh, with Battlestar. Um, all right, we've got phone calls coming up, and uh, let's see, Jackson Watch coming up today. I haven't had one of those in a while. Jackson Watch, Britney Watch. Uh, coming up later on, uh, some email to get to, uh, and uh, whatnot. All right, join the days. Are we always by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon? Hello. Hi, I'm on episode six now, of Freaks and Geeks. I just finished watching Thirty Rock, which is hilarious. I gotta watch that too. Man, that's on the list. It is genius. I know. I've heard it's great. It is absolutely wonderful. It is. It, it's one of the greatest things I've seen in a really long time. And then um, I've been watching Freaks and Geeks, oh. which is just beautiful. Freaks and Geeks is just. You know what Freaks and Geeks is like. Freaks and Geeks, you've seen it before, right? No. Oh, really? So no. I won't ruin anything for you. No, I'm at the part right now where he gets locked out of the locker room and he's running through the halls. And it was just, I was watching a little bit of it this morning, just as the bell rings, you can see oh, the first door oh. opening. I'm like, oh, and I put it on pause. It's Freaks and Geeks is like when you have, as a child, a loose tooth and you're sort of pulling on it a little bit. And it hurts, but it feels good. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what Freaks and Geeks is like. Man, I'm having some bad flashbacks. It's getting yeah. into my head. Oh, yeah. I don't like it. Like, some of the things that some that some girls did to me when I was in high school, I mean, like, when that girl comes up and dumps her purse out, like, that same stuff happened to me. And I'm, like, watching this, like, I don't know if I should, if this is good for the soul. I don't yep. know if I should relive this because I've completely, you know, pushed it out of my mind. I had, well, we were talking about this this weekend. I have this theory. Because I was talking to Sarah this weekend, and you were like, hey, I'm watching Freaks and Geeks. And I, as I, I do believe that that is one of the reasons Freaks and Geeks never made it to a second season. Because I think a lot of people tuned in. I know for a fact, I had one friend of mine who tuned in to Freaks and Geeks. Because I was like, hey, you've got to watch it. It's the best show ever. There's this new, exciting new talent named Judd Apatow. You've got to see his program. He tuned in, and he, he sent me an email. He's like, dude, he's like, I lived through. I watched one episode, he said. because I lived through it once. I don't need to watch it again. I know. I'm, I'm having a hard time whether... I'm struggling whether or not I should keep watching uh, it. Because it really is mentally messing me up. It because is. Because it's I'm, not what you remember high school being like. It's what high school really was it's like. It's exactly what it was. And like the crazy girl Kim... 
Yeah. I had actually a girl yeah. named Kim that I grew up with, crazy blonde girl, who is that character, oh, and yeah. she was like the bad influence and the crazy and, and like. Oh, I don't know. So I'm having a really hard time. Like, I've been kind of mentally messed up about it for the past couple of days. Nailed... And I think that's why I was having that inferiority oh. complex at the Barfly Awards, because I just finished watching an episode that oh, yeah. really reminded me. No, that me. show will depress you. Yeah, and it just reminded me. I'm like, wow, I, you know, I really had a miserable life back then. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was really mean to me. I'll just continue to drink. Seriously. The the great thing about Freaks and Geeks, it is this cringe-inducing but wonderful program. And I'm glad I'm watching it, but it, it's hard. It's such quality, though. That show is worth its weight in gold and I'm so glad that they waited to put it out on DVD to include all the period music because that's why it took so long to come out and that's why the DVDs are so goddamn expensive because they licensed every single song because you know like you watch WKRP in Cincinnati now uh, and there's no they're working at a radio station but you don't hear any actual music it's all like production music because they couldn't license Purple Haze or whatever and so, you know, so Johnny Fever says, here's Jimi Hendrix. And you hear, like, some bad synth, you know, thing from a production library because they couldn't get any. Freaks and Geeks, they waited and made sure they could get all the original music, you know, mm. everything. It's just such, it's such a great show. But they nailed all the archetypes. Um, that Kim girl, everybody had a friend like her. And it's exact. Oh, it is just so dead on. Oh, yeah. It's, it's genius. It's so dead on. It's so over the top. And I remember like, wait, th no, this isn't over the top. This is exactly yeah. what it was like. So if anybody out there has not seen Freaks and Geeks, and it's been canceled for several years now, but you really... And it's Judd Apatow who then went on. And I'm so that's why I'm so glad that he went on to have all that success with Knocked Up, 40-Year-Old Virgin. Uh, you know, he produced Anchorman. He produced this, 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 this movie, the TV set. I mean, the, you know... The guy has done so well for himself, and I'm really proud of, you know, of him and happy for him because after NBC canceled Freaks and Geeks, I, I was just afraid you'd never hear from him again. Mm. It's afraid he would just be snuffed out. So, anyway. Well, it's a great show. Everybody, you have to watch it. Yeah, so that's what I've been watching. That's what my life has consisted of. <sighs> that, and I've been watching, I watched this really rad movie last night called Fido, which I think you would really like. And you said zombies? It's kind of like a Pleasantville, but it's also... Um, I don't. It, it's weird. It's kind of a flashback to slavery as well, because like there are these zombies and they can't really do anything with them. But they um, there's this uh, company that they create called Zomcom, where they figure out these uh, collars they can put on zombies and make them indentured servants. Oh, creepy. And like so, everyone. So the zombies are like the milkmen, and they're like servants for these people's uh, houses. And the, it's all Pleasantville, all bright but colors. With, but with zombies. But with zombies who snap every once in a while and kill people. Fantastic. Yeah, it was I'm awesome. all over that. You should totally watch it. Uh, all right, Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification today. Taxing smokers to pay for children's health care is the big issue on the Oregon ballot today. Big Tobacco has poured big bucks into TV commercials finding it. Tribal officials vow to get their heads out of their buttocks and put some security guys on max trains in an effort to stop passengers from getting their heads cracked by thugs. Not going to help. Uh, just to make us all feel a little bit safer, it has now been publicly acknowledged that there are no security cameras on the Gresham Max line. <laughs> of course. A politician from the Cuba is in hot water for making an inappropriate comment to a lady. Uh -oh. A famous showbiz dad passes away. And a Washington couple is nearly killed by a falling cow. Uh, 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 uh. All right, there you go. Uh, oh, is there is there a warning sign with that? Do you know, was it, did the road have a sign that said, beware of falling cows? Because those do actually exist. No, not here. All right, okay. 
503-733-2970. Speaking of zombies, I don't want to launch into a whole book club thing here because we don't have time. Because i got to read this thing. we got to get these uh, phone calls. Um, but I finished it a few days ago, and I waited to sort of digest it. But really, i got to tell you this, right? I don't read a whole lot of fiction, most of the stuff I read. But, man, i got to say this. It's a good time to be me. And here's why. Because I am on a great streak of books lately. I have been... I don't want to sit and dive into a whole literary thing. Um, but, man, I'm almost afraid to start anything new because I'm on such a hot streak. Because I had the uh, Into Thin Air, Into the Wild, uh, In the Heart of the Sea... And then I read that All God's Children book, which is which about the I homeless. Which I am currently reading and I'm going to read today. Oh, man, it's creepy. Creepy and great. Um, and then I read World War Z by Max Brooks, an oral history of the zombie war, which I it, it, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be sort of kooky, maybe a little tongue-in-cheek or something, because oh, it's the zombie war. <laughs> it's the nuttiest war ever. And really not. That is a staggering book. I mean, it, 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 that is a book of just unparalleled vision uh and i and i people will maybe have a hard time taking it seriously because they see that it's about the zombie war but you know what i love here's what i love in fiction is when they take something that is fundamentally impossible or improbable or unlikely like michael crichton does this michael crichton is probably the best example where michael crichton takes something like dinosaurs living now among us and like with jurassic park the great thing about jurassic park was he took this fundamentally untenable proposition of bringing dinosaurs back, and he took it, he showed you from A to Z exactly how it could technically, logically, theoretically happen. So you didn't just have to buy the proposition that somehow they were dinosaurs. Like, he showed you every single step of how they would be brought back, how it would cre be created, and then exactly how it would fall apart. He dealt with it like it was a real situation. And he said, you know, what would really happen if we were somehow able to bring dinosaurs back? Have you seen And then they would go, they would be let loose. Have you seen that movie Evolution? No. With, with David Duchovny? No. It's very good. Really? Yeah, it looks completely stupid because it had that horrible logo with, like, the smiley with face the with smiley three face. eyes. Yeah. No, don't, that, that's exactly what happens is that um, these species evolve and, like, dinosaurs are finally roaming around in um, modern day United States. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I love stuff like that. So he has done this with World War Z, Max Brooks has, where it is, it is, it's a book, and I'm not going to give anything away, and I'm going to give it, like, 30 seconds, then we'll move on. But it is, um, it is a, a book done in the series in a, in a series of oral interviews with people, and it is a book uh, written ten years after the conclusion of this war against the undead. Uh, and the whole book is a series of interviews with people, start, and then they do it chronologically from the very beginning of the war to the very end of the war, and it just blows your mind. I mean, he is a guy with an absolute worldwide vision. I mean, he... Yeah, it's, I can't, I'm not even really in the right place mentally to talk about it a lot today. We'll talk about it more as the week goes on, but it's just unbelievable. So if you have not read World War Z, you got to do that. It'll just, uh, it's stunning. All right, let's get a couple of these, uh, then we'll do a few things, then we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Brains. Stop it. Stop it now. Okay. Thank you. Hey, uh, no, I just wanted to say, first of all, to Sarah, all those girls that made fun of you, they're all knocked up smoking tomorrow, bros. 100 pounds overweight. Your husband in prison. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, second of all... We should, do a, we should do a daily segment, Sarah, where you just anonymously call girls who were mean to you in high school. No. <laughs> no, that's hey, not your anyway. best drunk award over them. Hey, what, how, <laughs> yeah. can, how can I help you, sir? Hey, I just was... I just, uh, as soon as you were talking about the... Um, I don't know what country it was, Pakistani or wherever they're having some trouble with their television news, news network. Yeah. What do they have, like the uh, Yurt Shopping Channel or something like that going uh, on? See, was this... De yes. De desperate adult Atolas or... Let's not... You know. uh, 
Let's not be stereotyping, sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't believe I will, you. I don't believe you're really sorry. I will put my burka back on and go back to work. Okay. Thanks so much. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. That was a poor start to the program. Hello, hi. I think I can improve it. Please, please do. Do uh, it now. Flesh-eating bacteria costs in me six pounds of flesh. Now, bear with me. The story's a little bit long, but there are so many golden phrases in it, you'll see why. A man who was attacked by flesh-eating bacteria while he was in prison and wound up grossly disfigured, assuming the state prison system claimed he had been told he simply had an allergic reaction. <laughs> the lawsuit filed in Tacoma, names of defendants, the Department of Corrections, and a Dr. A. Muhammad Kershid. The suit accuses Kershid of deliberate indifference. Uh, Manning, 60, is disabled following extensive surgery in which six pounds of flesh was removed from his pelvis. Ah. Left with one testicle and a reconstructed penis, he's been released from prison and <laughs> yeah. lives in a dilapidated motorhome in Hoodsport. Living uh, in a motorhome with a reconstructed penis. <laughs> There's no country house, song for that. A former house painter with a history of mental illness, alcoholism, and an IQ of 78, Manning was sent to Stafford Creek in the 2004 <laughs> to serve a 13-month sentence for threatening a neighbor and stealing the man's pistol in a drunken argument. Uh, three months later, on July 4th, he developed an infected hemorrhoid. <laughs> <laughs> this story does get better with every sentence. You're it's right. Still, it's, it's not even done yet. Manning claimed he repeatedly asked for medical attention but received no response until July 6th, by which time he was hiding under his bunk because of the pain. His genitals were swollen, he was bleeding from the rectum, and had a rash on his torso and was running a fever. There is no indication in prison medical records provided to the Seattle Times that Kershaw performed an examination. Manning was diagnosed as to having an allergic reaction to cold medicine. Over the next two days, Manning's blood pressure dropped, his pain increased, and blisters began to form on his genitals. By July 8th, when Kershaw diagnosed an infection, Manning had dark blotches, a sign of dead tissue, on his penis and open sores on his scrotum. He was sent to Grays Harbor Community Hospital at Aberdeen where the doctor quickly recognized Fournier's gangrene, a type of necrotizing societies that kills about a quarter of the people who get it. Manning was immediately flown to Harborview Medical Center in Seattle over the next week as he was subjected to four debridements, the removal of dead tissue that left him scarred from the rectum to ribs. Surgeons made a replacement penis with the skin from his thigh. Okay. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Where did you find that? Where did you find that story? It was in the Columbian in the Clark County section. Of course it was, right next to the ads for apples, three for one down at the Kroger. <laughs> yeah. All right, God bless you. That You saved the yeah. program single-handedly. Yeah. Thank you. All right, quickly, two more, and then we got a break. Oh, I didn't even talk about the... Uh, all right. Well, we'll get to this other thing. This hideous debacle I walked home to last night. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, how's it going? What's up? It's going... Hey, um... I don't know if you guys remember, but the creator of Freaks and Geeks also did Undeclared, a great show. It got canceled. Which around. I never I saw. That, I'm Jeez. watching that second. I'm going to have to watch that when you're done with it because I never saw Undeclared. Yeah, it was great. I mean, he was uh, like the college years, basically. But yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was great. Excellent. NBC has a, you know, they have a uh, long run of canceling great shows. It's what they do. It's really their only skill. All right, thank you. And finally this. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, hi. Um, I, you were talking about World War Z a little while ago. Yes. Um, I wanted to let you know that um, Brad Pitt's production company is going to make a movie based on it. Yeah, he, he outbid Leonardo DiCaprio for that, apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. DiCaprio wanted to make World War Z into a movie, and he was outbid by Brad Pitt, which is pretty good for the son of Mel Brooks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't, it's the son of Mel Brooks, you kind of figure you're just going to be overshadowed by your dad forever. Uh, but writing what is the definitive account, I mean, really, from to my mind, probably the definitive 
This sounds like a dumb statement. But the definitive work of zombie fiction since the original Night of the Living Dead in 68 is probably the best thing since then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, we'll have a little bit of Max Brooks news later in the week. You want to be listening for that. All right. Um, on a side note, um, you are aware there's an audio book for them? Uh, I have a copy of the audiobook. Uh, audiobook. I wish that I had listened to the audiobook about two weeks earlier than I did, though, because I realized that Henry Rollins is on it. I would have been able to ask Henry Rollins about it last week, so I failed on that, on that account. Uh, I have one last thing though before I go. Yes. Um, on on the new news on uh, Coin. Yes. They I saw a video clip on some sort of uh, infant that is going to undergo surgery. Um, that had like was Wait, born with two on, bodies. Hold on, hold on. I'm seeing into the future here. Mm-hmm. You are going to describe a child with a total of wait seven? No, 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 no. Eight, eight limbs. Yes. Look at me, I'm a genius. Huh. I believe that was spoken about on. Yeah, no, we were all over. News. Yeah, we were all over that yesterday. Sure. Oh, sir. I'm sorry. But I no, I appreciate you. You're two for three in your call content. Yeah. All right, thank you. All right, bye. Sixty-six percent interesting. I don't even have time to talk about this thing in my living room. Uh, well, that's okay. We'll get back to it later. Who wants to take a break? I do. All right. Uh, we'll come back with Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kassam, and Tim Riley preparing the noon news hour. Later on, Peter Carlin, James Roop, the top five, and so forth. You say there's a rick. Easy to drink too much. I feel like my head's in a fog today. I'm trying to snap out of it. There's a whole thing going around. Oh, don't tell me that. No, Joe had it. I think Dave Zinn had it. You get kind of the gravelly throat. and That's the, uh, exactly what's going on. Yeah, kind of like your head's full of jello. Mm-hmm. I think it passes in a day or two, but... Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel sick, but I do feel a little off. Yeah, well, I, I had a little bit of it yesterday, and I thought it was because I was, because we were at the Barfly Awards, and I was inhaling, like, that weird acrid, uh, whatever was in the air until, like, 2 in the morning. That probably didn't help, certainly. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Be careful, though, because you're drinking out of this massive coffee mug. And here's the thing is that coffee mug is so huge, I noticed that you're drinking out of it with two hands. <laughs> so you just sort of look, you're sort of dwarfed by it. So you be careful. It's easy to drink too much caffeine, and then you become cranky, Sarah. No, I'm, when I don't have enough caffeine, I be, I'm cranky, Sarah. What, do you ha- what happens when you have too much? I just, I'm crazy, Sarah. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> uh, all right, 503-733-2970. I guess we can break this news then. So coming up later on in the week, um, I do believe Friday, uh, on this program, uh, I should have actually just mentioned this to the guy, but I wanted to double-check um, the, the day and the time. Um, coming up on Friday, we will be interviewing on this very fine radio program, Max Brooks, author of World War Z, uh, an oral history of the zombie war. So if you haven't read that, you really ought to read it, uh, and we'll be talking to him on Friday. So if you are a zombie aficionado, uh, be sure to, um, as the guy says at the end of V, tell you friends, uh, Friday, Max Brooks, author of World War Z, uh, here on the Rick Emerson radio program. Let's welcome now, from the hills, CNN radio correspondent of the stars. And by, uh, by the way, do you know on the CNN prep sheet today, it says Lisa Goddard? I did know. Everyone's telling me this. You know, Tyler had, came back from his own honeymoon, and so he's a little out of sorts, and he emailed me. He apologized. It's all good. Yeah. What is it? You work at CNN, and then you get married? Like, it's you. And, and something you, in the water. And Steve Kastenbaum and Tyler. Laura. Yeah. And Laura. That's true. So Laura married, out of the seven people who work in our specific department, four of us got married this year. Well, all right then. So, <laughs> hey. You're sure you haven't been purchased by James Dobson or something? <laughs> I, I hope not. All right. <laughs> look at look at you breaking the journalistic fourth you wall. Know, well, I'm just saying 
any, I don't want to be purchased by anybody who's opinionated on either side. No, of course. See, good. And he's clearly opinionated. Good save, Lisa. Thank you. Um, did you get a lot of? Is everything okay? I mean, I know that you just got married, but I mean, is, it, is, is, yeah. is there anything I need to help with? Look, I'm here, girlfriend. I'm here if you need anything. It's okay, so. it's okay. I know. But yeah, everyone was having trouble with the name. Yeah, I understand. I know. Actually, you know, every, I think everyone immediately knew uh, that it was Tyler's goof up. All right. By the way, let me just uh, while we're throwing Tyler under the bus, let me ask you a couple things. A, um, and I only ask this, I ask this simply and solely because I need ego gratification every now and again. Have, have, I have prided myself on the fact that I have not screwed your name up once. I haven't called you Lisa right. Goddard once. I That's haven't, right. I, I almost mispronounced it a couple times and I have saved it. Now, how have the other folks who talk to you on a, you know, somewhat regular basis, how have they fared with the new name? I can only think of one other uh, radio host that has has not had any kind of bobble. Like it's really just you and one guy. Well, he is my He's sworn enemy. Because everyone else has has had problems. And the fun there's there's two. There's one of our own hosts at CNN Radio, and then uh, another uh, radio host, out, a news guy out there. That for some reason they they really like to over French it. And I, and I don't know how to tell them because they they think that they are doing it the ultimate correct version where they go Desjardins. You know, like they do this kind of, kind of over-the-top French okay. thing. That's just dumb. Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> I, I need to tell them. Yeah, that's uh, you should disabuse them of the idea that that sounds good at all. Uh, exactly, but they they really enjoy it. I, it's so I, I don't I don't I, I feel bad telling them. So well, let me fine. let me I guess work backward here. I I here's how my mind works. So this is you only heard a little a little tale of this. We were talking about this book World War Z. Uh, which is a fantastic piece of fiction writing, which uh, I found out after the fact was written by Mel Brooks's kid. So I'm glad he started to step out from underneath his father's sort of Toulouse Lautrec esque coattails. Um, but um, Toulouse Lautrec apparently invented chocolate mousse. Did you know that? Is that true? Yes, that's what I'm told. That is true. And moonwalking. <laughs> no, it's true. Wait, he was the mime, right? Toulouse Lautrec? No, yeah. Toulouse Lautrec was a, a painter. Oh, Marcel Marceau is. I'm confused. I'm, I'm merging the two of them in my head. So I think I didn't because I didn't know that Toulouse Lautrec. I, I hadn't didn't have that sort of tyrannical. He's he's more of your kind of uh, bohemian artist French guy. Oh, this is blowing the whole reference then because yeah, I'm just. I kind of thought it was strange, but I was slating them all in my head. Well, whatever. So he so the painter Toulouse Lautrec invented chocolate mousse. Yes. Okay, the mime, oh, the Mar story, right, exactly. Marcel Marceau invented moonwalking, then right, stolen yeah, by right. Michael Jackson. There we go. Let's yeah. never talk about this again. Um, <laughs> anyway, so World War Z has this great section that takes place in, of all places, Pakistan, and it, it, it describes how when the world, when this whole unrest happens all around the world, that Pakistan ends up using, as they call it, uh, I believe they end up using the nuclear option. And it was, it was sort of on my mind today in a weird way because there is all this weirdness happening there. So before we move on to other stuff, is that... What is what is the latest? Is the latest just that there is no latest from Pakistan? That everything is just sort of in this weird state of uh, of discord? Well, opposition um, candidate, if there are whenever the elections occur, Benazir Bhutto, we talked about yesterday. Uh, she has actually made her way, or she is making her way. I need to check the wires to make see if she's there yet to the capital of Islamabad, uh, essentially to try and rally opposition forces together and, and try and make her case uh, for an immediate election, or at least an election by January. Meanwhile, I think you're right otherwise, though, that Pervez Musharraf essentially seems to be just waiting to see 
what the crowd reaction is. Are there are there going to be huge demonstrations? Are there not? He's not really making a lot of moves. It's almost as, as one analyst put it. It's almost as if he said, "We're going to just call a state of emergency and um, we'll go from there." <laughs> <laughs> like, so it, it it's not really clear what his next step is if he has that planned or not because it doesn't seem that he is really making any pronounced moves right now. All right. And so the other news today, the big news is that, uh, as, I, as it says here on the prep sheet, that the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is a word I always have tremendous difficulty with, they are expected to approve or they have now approved uh, Michael McCasey's nomination for Attorney General. What is the, what's the timeline on that? Right. It looks like next week is when the full Senate will vote on Mukasey's nomination. The Justice Department was hoping he would get through the Senate this week. They were hoping for a swearing-in ceremony on Friday, but it looks like it won't be until next week. You remember at this point, it's been about two months since Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez left the Justice Department, so they are eager to get someone in there, not only so he'll make your typical Attorney General decisions, but also because so many other top staffers have left uh, for similar reasons. A couple of them had already planned to leave, but a lot of them have left in the wake of the U.S. attorney scandal. And so they need someone to appoint um, most of the top decision makers at the Justice Department. Do you, do you get the sense, and this just as a, as a journalist, as an observer of the political process in Washington, do you sort of get the sense, because I do, that, uh, that the Bush administration, and specifically uh, George W. Bush, that they are already sort of in the, in the rearview mirror, uh, culturally speaking, that we've just sort of, I don't want to say rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, but, but a lot of this stuff is just sort of, you know, that maybe the heart isn't really in it the way that it once was because everybody has now, everybody is now looking forward and that, it, I don't know really what I'm trying to say here, but it's, it, there's just, you, you, I see, I mean, you're sort of, you're saying the, uh, it's, it's a little more dull looking it's at not, the, the sheen on the White House, a little more dull. I, you know, I think inside the White House, they don't see it that way. I think the new, relatively new chief of staff really is gung-ho about this last year. And you even, President Bush in a speech to the Heritage Foundation last week, the very conservative organization, I think he said some, his, his quote was something to the effect of, uh, uh, I, I, hope, I hope you brought your running shoes for the next year because I'm going to sprint to the finish. So it's hard to say. If that's if he's really going to make good on a statement like that, but I think they do. The Bush administration believes that they're not they're not done yet. I think I think you're right that a lot of Americans are moving on already and much more concerned about next year's election. Much more concerned about is Congress doing anything than about what the president is doing. What's interesting is I think the Democrats in Congress are still really hung up on the on this president and he is the president so you do of course want to pay a lot of attention to him but but they are still sort of setting up uh these political traps for instance uh they're getting ready to pass a budget bill that would fund veterans health care but it would also fund some other things that the president doesn't want to fund and they're they're floating that because they want the president to veto they want to be able to say hey look this president vetoed veterans health care I kind of look at that and say, okay, you know, he's not running again. Sure, you, you made him look bad maybe. I don't know. But the fact is that they, they still are paying a great deal of attention. And, in fact, let me see if I can pull this up right now. This is the floor of the House right now. Let me see if they're still doing this. His ability to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. Yeah. What's happening now is Dennis Kucinich, of course, presidential candidate, Democrat from Ohio, has just introduced um, a motion for the impeachment of Vice President Cheney. Well, of course. And that's what the that's what the clerk is reading at this moment. So it's just to say, uh, Democrats still 
I don't know if fixated is the right word. They, they certainly are so focused on this administration. And, and you can say in some ways they're justified. Obviously, weapons of mass destruction, the reasons for entering Iraq, really no one's ever been held accountable for that small mistake uh, that the Bush administration made. So they're still paying attention to that. But I don't know. I, I, think, I think most Americans see it the way you do. I think inside Washington there's still a lot of fixation inside the White House and outside of the White House with this process. I, I think Democrats and the GOP alike uh, outside of Washington and, and maybe you know, the, the people whose who's, you know, futures are really still to be decided who are going to have careers you know, in two years, I think they are all, again, all heads have just turned toward the east and, and they are just sort of you know, looking toward tomorrow. Uh, we don't uh, have time to do this today. Uh, you're not on tomorrow though, right? I'm not on tomorrow. So Thursday. Thursday. I don't even want to bring it up now because then it's going to be a whole thing you're going to want to talk about. And I know that we're running out of time. So uh, Thursday, I have something. Uh, how, how can I put this? I have something, as Mr. Miyagi would say, different but same to talk about on Thursday. It is sort Ooh, of a. Uh, so it is. It is different but related uh, to our daily discussions here. So we'll bring that up on Thursday. Uh, I guess enjoy your day away, and uh, we'll talk to you day after tomorrow. Okay, done. Cool. Thanks, Thanks guys. Lisa. There you go, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. See how I say that without sounding like a French nitwit? All right, it's 503-733. Secretly, I'm going to talk to her about Stephen Colbert's now aborted run for the presidency. She's still on hold. No, that's, uh, that's Steve Kastenbaum. Oh, okay. Uh, no, and I don't want to talk about today because then we don't have time, and she'll be gone tomorrow. But by Thursday, it'll be old news. I, still want to talk. I never really got her take on it, though, because she was kind of gone for a while. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Radio Program from the city that never sleeps. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? Uh, things are dandy, my friend. You know why? Because I don't rely on a stable of outside writers to create this four hours of genius every day. It just comes <laughs> to us all naturally. That's great. I um, love that. I, okay, this is what I was going to say earlier on in the program, and I weighed whether or not to say it because I didn't want to sound uh, you know, like a jerk. Um, and I'm going to talk to Roop about this later and get the, the, the L.A. take on this sort of thing. But it is... You got all these guys like Leno and Letterman, and I know that Leno is in a, he's in Burbank. Letterman though is coming out of New York, and Conan comes out of New York too, right? Right, exactly. And so I think all the late night guys were in reruns yesterday, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. That's right, Colbert and and John Stewart also. And it, it is, uh, I mean, how do I put this? So you got a guy like like Leno, and he might be the best example, um, who. He was a comic, you know, still is a working comedian. You know, he still goes out and tours and does clubs and whatever. To, to he, I'm not a big fan of his, but to his credit, he has remained a working comedian at the same time he's doing The Tonight Show. Um, now, I don't know how this works where Leno being – is Leno himself, for example, or Letterman, are they themselves members of the Writers Guild and therefore is it the case that they themselves cannot actually come to work and create material? Uh, no, I don't believe that's the case. I think what what you have here is they do have contracts with uh, with clauses in them that say, that say you know the material that'll be used on the air during the broadcast will be that created by Writers Guild members. So that's so, a, so even if like a guy like Letterman or Conan or Letter, even if they just said, look, uh, you know the writers have got to sort this out with uh, you know with the studios and the, you know the union and and the bosses have got to figure it out. But in the meantime. You know, like a guy like Leno, who's kind of a joke machine, he couldn't just buckle down and say, "Look, but for now, I, you know, I got an audience, and they want new stuff, and I got to give the people what they want. And I'm just going to crank the show out, and and you know, and go out there and do it old school." 
Absolutely. They, they very they very well could do that. There are some shows where, where guys have been going on and there's just nothing on the teleprompter and they're well, just sort of winging it. And that's, see, this is where, and I'm treading a very fine line because I don't want to sound like a jerk and I don't want to sound like I'm some, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm some Groucho Marx, Marx-esque titan of entertainment. I mean, I'm just a guy and I come and I flap my gums for a few hours and then I go home and I eat snack chips and that's fine. <laughs> but... But, you know, it's not just me. Every guy, and I, you know, I could run down the list of guys maybe behind a microphone. Like, you know, Tom Likas in L.A. was doing, he did two hours on this yesterday. And you know what? If Tom Likas, you know, comes in the studio, and everything you hear in the air comes out. You know, he has newspaper articles and stuff, and it's stories that he, and emails that he riffs off of. But that stuff all just comes out of Tom. You know, when a guy like, you know, uh, a guy like Howard is the same way. Um, you know, anybody who does what I do, or anybody, a lot of people who are on television, the same way, where they just come on. And they just kind of do what they do. And it does sort of surprise me that you haven't seen one a, a show on television, especially a sort of talk show, looking to break its way out of the pack and get a little attention by just saying, look, we, you know, uh, the writers will fix this. But in the meantime, we're just going to sit down and we're going to grind out our own material because the audience deserves a new show and they shouldn't be punished, you know, by the writers going on strike. I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I think uh, speaking as a, as a former member of, of the Writers Guild years ago, I was in that union, uh, I think... The, the issue is so complex that a, a lot of the contracts at the individual shows uh, also cover other support staff besides for the writers. So I'm not 100% sure on this, but there's a possibility that those support staff individuals are also out uh, honoring the strike. So I don't know if they could even get the show done without the people who, you know, go through the newspapers every day and pull articles that Dave might want to read, you know, make fun of on the air or something like that. Maybe. I, I could be wrong, but that, that might be the case. I suppose. And I mean, and I, uh, you know, and again, this is where I walk the fine line of, of sounding like some, sounding like a like an a-hole about the whole thing. But I mean, God, God, for, God forbid that Dave just do that himself. God <laughs> forbid that David Letterman, uh, who is a phenomenal talent, uh, just actually sit down and you know maybe find some material himself to do. Well, actually, so. I, I think I think a whole show without the writers would probably produce a, a ton of material well, out of itself. And you know? figure Letterman of all of those guys, and you know they all have their talents to one degree or another. Leno is a bit too uh, you know he's a bit too pasteurized for my taste. But you figure a guy like Letterman who has made a career out of working in weird, adverse, sometimes flat-out confrontational circumstances with the studio and with with the network and with whatever, especially back in the early days in NBC. I remember Letterman, you know, he was doing the, you know, where the, there was some show I watched Letterman years ago. I'm forgetting what happened, but there was some, some show happened where like the microphones wouldn't work or the cameras were screwing up or whatever. Or he, you know, and it, like some guest bailed on him or whatever. And so like Letterman just killed a whole hour with having people from the audience race up and down. Like he would put two people <laughs> in an elevator. He would get two elevators side by side of the old GE building and he would have a staffer in one elevator and uh, and, a, and a person, an audience member, in the other elevator, and they would have a race to see who could get to the tenth floor the fastest, and like the winner would get a ham, you know. That's and he funny. just, I think he just made it up on the fly because something was screwing up at the show. And well, please, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I was going to say, I think part of the, the part of this is, you know, those guys they really do feel a tremendous sense of loyalty to their writers, especially you know their their head writers, and you know they don't want to create. Uh, bad feelings with these guys uh, when they come back from the strike, whenever the strike is over. So, so that's definitely playing a role. But if the strike goes on for a long time, a significant amount of time, 
uh, they will definitely come back on the air, and the, some of them will probably hire non-union labor to, to fill the void for a while. And again, and, and you know, I was talking to Roop about this. I myself have stuff, you know, I've done stuff through the Writers Guild. I think I've actually let it lapse some time ago because I haven't done anything for a while. But I, you know, in the Writers Guild, and I, so I understand kind of where a lot of this comes from. It doesn't. As many people have noted, though, it is kind of weird, and maybe not like the shrewdest tactic in the playbook, that the writers announced this strike like months ago and then created six months' worth of material for the studios to have before they go on strike. Tell me about it. Like, who does that? Look, we're going to strike six months from now, but we're going to create half a year worth of programming for you, and then we're going to walk out. I think it's because they know that this issue has to be resolved and will be resolved eventually. This, This has been lingering for years. I mean, back when I was at the, the local all-news radio station in New York, I was a member of AFTRA, which is the American Federation of Radio, Television, radio and Television Artists. And uh, the same issue came up during our talks back there. And basically, the CBS parent company, the owner of the station, said, you know, we're just going to put this issue on the shelf and agree to go back to it at a later time. And the networks have just kept doing that year after year after year as individual contracts came up. And finally, the union has said, you know, look, once and for all, we have to resolve this now before you're making tons of money off of the Internet downloads. We need to resolve this now. Right. And I think that – and both sides know it. So I think – I don't think this strike will last 22 weeks like the last one did. There were deeper issues uh, at the root of that strike than there are in this one. I think both sides uh, recognize what's going on here. And I think the producers know that they have to they, – they definitely – have to pay the writers something out of out of what's going on with the downloads and the actors and the and and the directors as well. It's just a matter of of reaching an agreement that they can swallow and and and, and handle the money, the payout, you know, that that's agreeable to them. Because you know, the reruns is where most of the writers used to get the bulk of their uh, their income from after you know they were done with the season because they'd get paid for writing you know 13 episodes. That's not a full-time job. Yeah. You know, that, that's only a couple of months' work. The rest of the year, they were collecting money, if they're lucky, off of residuals from the reruns. But there aren't that many reruns anymore. The reruns are becoming downloads instead. Well, because I was somebody said that even though NBC has yanked a lot of their programs, they were noting that the first episode or first season, rather, of Heroes has been viewed something like, some huge, it's like 60 zillion times or something online. So it is one of those things, like, you'll see, you'll see a lot of contracts now. I've actually seen contracts that, like this recently where it will say they will, a lot of times in a, an agreement with any sort of media network or radio network or broadcasting corporation, it will it will discuss the means by which the program will be transmitted. And it will say via radio, via television, right. you know, th- th- some of the newer ones said Internet. Actually, you will see agreements now in the broadcasting industry that say by television, by Internet, by radio, or by any means unforeseen <laughs> at this time that may be devised or invented in future, you know, whatever. So it's like a Philo Farnsworth the Ninth comes up with some weird atomic transmission thing in his in his attic uh, that that's going to be covered by the agreement because they don't want to get screwed by that again. Well, they've got you by the you know what. They really uh, do, my friend. Contract. My yeah. the, Jordan Curleys. You know, it's 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 interesting because uh, you know these guys are out there on the picket line, and we have Saturday Night Live here, and Seth Meyers is not only a cast member, he's the head writer, so he's in the Writers Guild uh, as a result of that, and he's out there picketing with the guys. And he's really into this issue. He's talking, and, and I want to pull a Homer Simpson on him while he's doing the interview with me and say, be more funny, you know? <laughs> Genius. All right, my friend, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Be more funny. That's wonderful. All right. Hey, shall we take a break?
Excellent. We're taking a break. Come back. Tim Riley around the corner with the new news hour, the best 60 minutes of your life. Uh, later on, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop, Peter Carlin, the top five, and so forth. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Another piece of. Let's run down this little recent list again regarding Sarah. Box of porn in the office. Check. Trucker hat. Check. Band sleepover. Check. Winner of best drunk in Portland. Check. Rick, these are far from items of shame or embarrassment. They are not to be hid away nor shunned. These are glorious titles and accolades. These are mighty pillars which raise you above the status of mere mortal and ordinary women. Porn, caps, punks, and drunks are that which speak to the very soul of every man's desire and make you, Sarah Dillon, hotter than ever. Rick, being a dude, knows this to be true. No, it is true. All right, ladies, so you are, you know what, so wear your best drunk title proudly, okay, Sarah. Thanks. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, he is your personal savior. He's Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. News breaking now. A bicyclist collided with a car in the very same spot where some guy got killed. Now, this happened at, uh, at North Interstate and Greeley. This is the same spot that took the life of Brett Geraldmeck, who was 31. Now, this time it's another 31-year-old named Sobon Doyle. He was riding straight on Interstate when uh, hit by a Toyota driver. Uh, both were at a green light. The driver was making a right-hand right -hand turn, turn onto North Greeley. When she struck Doyle, who was traveling in the bike lane, Doyle was taken to an area hospital. She is not seriously hurt. And uh, no citations have been issued. So once again, it's the same place. So And so the bicyclist, from what we know, presumably was trying to go straight. Correct. The Toyota, again, this is just based on what we know, the Toyota was attempting to make a right-hand turn and perhaps did not, we don't know, but didn't, didn't look or didn't check or didn't yield. Uh, and, so uh, since nobody is seriously hurt, there will be no further investigation. All right. Well, the cyclist is okay. So, I mean, at least yeah. it's, that would just be too much. If there was, I mean, not like it's okay as it is now, uh, you know, with however many dead. But, I mean, it's just, at least there's not just one, one more at that same intersection. We just put an un, that would put an untenable pall over, I think, the day. So, all right. So today is Election Day. Oh, and, yeah. And the question is whether or not to raise, raise the state's cigarette tax to pay for children's health care. Well, why not? And why not? So uh, Big Tobacco has poured big bucks into TV commercials. As a matter of fact, Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds have spent nearly $12 million. We don't want to hear about any of these TV stations saying they're broke. Once again, they spent $12 million with you. That's enough for a couple of brand-new helicopters. Or maybe some actual living, breathing employees. Mm -hmm. Make it the most expensive ballot measure campaign in the state's history. Really? Yeah. Even more so than the, uh, the, the, the no gays in our straight marriage thing? Yeah. Jesus. All right. Well, there you go. So since I fast forward, I've never seen any of these commercials. No, me either. But uh, apparently, I I think it says, we don't want to mess with Oregon's constitution, do we? Sure we do. I, I did see that one. Most, I saw well, once. That's the one. And it was done the way, this is a thing I should have brought up with Lisa Desjardins uh, earlier. Do you remember those ads uh, that came out during the early days of the Clinton presidency? And there was a name for them, and I can't remember. It was the name of the couple. And they were the anti-Hillary's health care ads. Mm. And it was like Bob and Sally. And it was all, and it was like a, a series of conversations between this fictitious couple, Bob and Sally, I think their names were. And it was a lot of, 
Have you been looking into you know Hillary Clinton's health care plan? Yes, I have, Bob. And I don't. Did you know we can't choose our own? Did you know that this is the creeping red menace? Mm. Did you know that Hillary Clinton likes to suck out the brains of babies through the soft spots in their skull? No, I didn't. Now I know. And it, and it was a whole series of ads that really effectively torpedoed Hillary's health care plan. Mm. Um, so, so so they spent twelve million here, but they spent sixty million in California last year, and it worked. Now, so they had the same measure, but it got defeated? Right, in California. The only ad I've seen is sort of a knockoff of those earlier health care ads, and I think it's like a woman sitting at the, at the kitchen table, and the guy says, like, Hi, honey, what are you reading? Did you? I was just reading this, you know, I was just reading this crap I got from a made-up deli in Silverton. Did you know that they want to amend Oregon's constitution to tax cigarettes? And the guy says, you know, of course, it's like, a, Who knew that Oregon had a constitution? <laughs> and the guy says... Well, that does seem like a drastic step. And she says, tell me about it. The founding white men would be turning over in their grave. <laughs> I mean, as somebody else noted, it's strange how all of these small government people had no problem trying to amend the Constitution to keep, you know, the gays from getting married. But no, 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 not, not for cigarettes. That is too far. I won't Who has it. the Oregon Constitution? I Where may it be viewed? I don't know. Sarah, do you have a copy of the Oregon Constitution? What Nothing. does it say? I know that this Who makes me... It? I. Some guy. Oh. I have no idea. A guy who looked like Slade Gordon. I don't know. The he ran a powdered wig. I mean, this makes me some. This makes me a bad citizen. I know, but I don't even. You don't know that you ask it. I don't even really know what's who in the Oregon, Constitution. the Oregon Constitution. Does it have a bill of uh, Oregon rights? I don't. What would they be? When is the last time we did amend the Oregon Constitution? Does anybody know? I don't know. We're such. I don't even know what it says. <laughs> Where may it be read? I don't know. Who keeps it? I'm a terrible person. Does somebody live out of a cabinet in in a bulletproof glass every day to post it somewhere? Maybe. I really. I hope they change your. It'll be the first time I saw it. You know. You know what. You know what is made even sadder by this is the observation that our uh, programmer emeritus Bruce Agler made. That, and he did. I'm not bragging. I'm simply pointing out what he said. That this news hour and in fact this show contains more actual local Oregon news than any other than any other radio program on the, the dial here in Portland. Well, that's How because sad we, is that. Well, it's because we question the stories. And Who writes these in the first place? And so. So we are apparently Oregon's premier radio outlet for local news, and yet we have no idea where the Oregon Constitution might even be viewed. I mean, I guess it's How online somewhere. I don't know. What does it say about children and smoking? I'm not entirely sure of that either. I don't even know when it might have been written. Was the Constitution written at the same time we became a state? Is that how that works? I suppose. You don't know? No, I don't know. I've never read it. <laughs> well, really, what, what reason where, would there be to read it? Where is it kept? I'm not trying to be, it, like... What rights does it give us? I'm not trying to be deliberately obtuse, but what am I going to gain from reading the Oregon Constitution? I mean, honestly. All right, somebody calling about the Oregon Constitution, All Richie? Right, I want to find out, because I am, I am also curious. I've never seen it. I'd like to know what else know what we've amended the Constitution to do. i got a few ideas for things. Mm. Oh, wait, hold on. Hi, hello, are you calling about the Oregon Constitution? Yes, I am. I'm a bit of a geek on uh, Oregon uh, history here. Okay. Well, you're you're right. Your guesses your guesses were right. It uh, it was created about the same time that the uh, state of Oregon was, uh, 1849. And and the wisecrack about the uh, white old men rolling in their graves is, is absolutely correct as well. Uh, women and uh, non-whites weren't given the the right of citizenship. Yes, well, of course not. No, of course not. <laughs> And uh, yes, we've uh, we've amended it for any uh, any number of reasons. The, water, the lottery, for God's sakes, was put into the uh, Constitution. 
So wait, when Who keeps the copy of the Constitution? Ah, that's another good question. The, the holder of the Constitution is the Secretary of State, and uh, it, it's locked in a <laughs> airtight vault. Uh, to protect this 150-year-old uh, self uh, at the uh, State Archive Division. Well, now, when you say so we, if we went there, could we ask to see it? Could we demand to view it? I, I believe so. It, I remember one time when there was a swearing-in of a Secretary of State, and they brought it out, and the, the officer was holding it with white gloves, so he didn't get his... Let me ask you this. When you say we amended the Oregon Constitution for the lottery, it, what do you mean and when? Well, that was uh, that was in the 80s, and uh, it was a vote uh, put up by uh, mostly the uh, the gaming industry, uh, and it amended the Constitution because the Constitution prohibited such things uh, prior to the 80s, and so uh, it, it was really the start of, of the great initiative uh, wave. So we uh, amended the Constitution to allow scratch-offs. Yes. Fantastic. Well, who cares what we amended for then? Oh. It seems like we've set the bar pretty low. There's a Constitution of Oregon, a 2005 edition. Would that be it? Really? That, that, that would be it. It hasn't the, been amended the, since then. 2005 edition. Does it have bonus tracks and B-sides? <laughs> Let's see here. The preamble. I found some of it here. Actually, the, the original Constitution is, is very funny because uh, it, it did uh, mention... Uh, uh, Native Americans and and and. Uh, Does it also note that Sarah is two thirds of a person? Uh, it is actually zero of a person in 1849. Uh, uh, owned. Hi, hi, Sarah. Good to hear you again. <laughs> Don't speak uh, unless spoken to. <laughs> pick, pick me a turkey pot pie. All right. And then, of course, at the turn of the uh, 20th century, uh, the Constitution was used to keep uh, uh, Catholics from uh, uh, ha having having full exercise of their freedom. And the Ku Klux Klan, of course, was a part of the early uh, uh, Oregon history. And why not? Can All we right. an original copy of that somewhere? I've, somebody has sent me a link to this here. Good. I want to Listen to this. It. Now, listen to this here. Section 2, Freedom of Worship. All men, that's men, Sarah Hey, wait a Dillon. minute. My section two says jurisdiction over waters forming the boundaries of the state. How many different constitutions are there? I don't know. Maybe I've... Are you sure you're looking at Oregon? It says Oregon Admission Acts. That's no, I don't well, that, that's even earlier, Tim. Oh, that, that, that one's that, only that, one that, page. That, that created the territorial government. Oh, God. I can feel that's my right. eyes glazing over. Are you this is are, really... Are you married, sir? Okay, hold on to that wife, because you might not land another one. No, no, I'm glad we have this person out there, because he's the only one that's answered this question. I'd like you to know that all men shall be secure in their natural right to worship Almighty God, according Ricky, to the dictates of their own consciousness. Rick, you realize that I, I am Sarah's oldest fan. That's the reason I know a few of these things. Oh, here, I think I, I have it can be. I have the Bill that's of right. Rights. I, well, and 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 the and the freedom of speech, Rick. You know, you talk about this about how Oregon is uh, the nation's capital for uh, fully uh, nude uh, strip joints, and and it is in that Bill of Rights there that is actually broader than the national constitution. I feel like such a bad American for not knowing any of this stuff. All right, I'm I'm gonna look. Well, I'm gonna the good stuff. I'm right. gonna yeah. I'm gonna spend some time looking uh, looking through this. All right. Uh huh. Imprisonment for debt. There'll be no imprisonment for debt. Except in case of fraud, of absconding your debtors. Hey, here's the whole thing about sale of liquor by the individual glass. Mm -hmm. The state shall have the power to license private clubs, fraternal organizations, veterans organizations, railroad corporations, uh, for the purpose of selling alcoholic liquor by the individual glass at retail, including mixed drinks and cocktails. Who? How bizarre that somebody had to spend time amending the Constitution to describe the mixing of cocktails for purchase. 
How about well, you can see it's a, it's a sacred document that we don't want Jerry to... Jerry said, no, 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 it has a whole new meaning to me now. You're right. I okay, so it says your prohibition was over in March 20th, 1933. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. Cheers. You're a good person. Uh, right. Slavery, let's see here, apparently was okay at one time. The Constitution say that. Article 5, slavery is Not fantastic. Anymore. All right. So uh, I think I think I have the Constitution in front of me. This is like when you look at one of those, I mean, because there's the earlier versions of the Constitution where it just it has all kinds of hideousness that would never, like when you look at some of those, um, what is it, what is the thing in the house, the title or whatever, mm-hmm. on some of those uh, Portland houses where it actually specifies like, this house shall only be sold to good Christian white tenants mm-hmm. or something. Uh, the, there was um, a guy who used to live near me when I lived uh, in John's Landing, a guy who lived in my neighborhood, like the title or the deed or whatever it was to his house. Mm-hmm. It had never been changed. Like, they had just never gotten around to changing it. He actually showed me a copy of it and actually said at one point in, like, the deed to his house that if he was to sell it, like, it had to be sold to a good Christian white man. Yeah. Uh, and then they know what, except for servants' quarters. You could put anybody else in the servants' quarters, but they couldn't live in the main house. And uh, they just, you know, never thought that needed to be updated. All right. Well, I don't have any problem. Well, amend the, amend the hell out of the Constitution. It doesn't matter to We've me. have done it before on several occasions. I don't smoke. Who All cares? Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, so there you go. Uh, it's, uh, so it's voting day. So, you know, I don't know. So vote or, or not. So let, let children have health insurance. I guess. I mean, the federal government's not going to do anything to help you. Sure. No, of course not. They're too busy declaring war. <laughs> too, too busy creating health needs in other children. Yes. All right. So there you go. So this will up the... Now, let me ask you this. Does this uh, cap the cigarette tax? In other words... No, this is different. Let's spend like 30 seconds actually caring about this issue, and then we're going to go back to not caring. If we amend... I can see Sarah, who is a smoker. Sarah, you ought to care about this. No, I'm not. Now, this new tax would raise an estimated $153 million in its first year and a half. Enough to, en- enough to ensure 100,000 children who have no coverage. How can you say no to that? I don't know, Sarah. How could you say, really, honestly? Mm-hmm. Did you just mouth at me what you mouthed at me? Well, to... About help those It doesn't need to children. be screamed like that. I don't need to be like, you're a homebody. You don't need to say it like that. I smoke on occasion. You're a social smoker. Social I'm saying smoker. occasionally you buy a That's pack. different than you going, you're a smoker. I'm, just I'm saying, talking about children. And I'm saying that none of us. Uh, so does it? how much would the tax be? Okay, it, it'll be just a few cents. But, I mean, does it cap it? In other words, if we well, amend... Well, the price of cigarettes goes up, you know, every year anyway. But my question is, if we amend the Constitution, mm-hmm. in other words, again, we're going to pretend that we really care about this issue for just a second so we can get the Crystal Award from the NAB, and then we're going to move on. If we put this in the Constitution, it does it... Is this the it? Is this the final... This is the final word in cigarette taxing, like, forever then? No, no. Okay, under this proposal, the state tax on the pack of cigarettes would rise... From 84 cents to two dollars and two cents, and smokers will pay it. Of course they will. You'll pay it. So then the tax on a pack of cigarettes will be two dollars and two cents. Mm-hmm. And that's a so jump. They'll be taxed on top of of the yeah. price. Yeah. Would rise from 84 cents to two. Okay. Oh two. So oh. Sarah, I know you're a casual soldier. So who cares about voting now? Suddenly now you're civically interested. I don't care. I know that smokers are screwed. I mean, I, I know as a smoker that you know that we're bad people and everyone wants to tax all of our evil cigarettes. So whatever. What it comes right down to is no matter how high the price of cigarettes goes up, people are still going to buy mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Exactly. You know, when I was in New York, um, I paid like $10 for a pack of cigarettes. So how much is a pack of cigarettes now? The average? Like five. So like oh, five geez. bucks. So right now, a pack of cigarettes costs. The, so Camel Cigarettes is charging you 420 
and then the state is charging you about 80 cents, right? So the pack of yeah, cigarettes, 84 cents. So the company, the, when it comes off the truck, it's 4.20. By the time it gets into the store and the man takes his share, it's five bucks. I guess unless you buy them online. Yeah, but I don't think you can do that. Isn't that illegal? Still, they were selling them online. I'm not sure if you can still buy them from from Indians. Who are selling them to the white the man. The same place online. where you can still buy mini fins. Um, so, well, now can you buy them from uh, from Indians? I suppose so. If you go to Indian reservation, you how sell them back? Either. What a what a sweet turn of events that would be if, if Indians were just constantly giving the white man cancer through cigarettes. Yeah. I would do that with a smile on my face. And well, here you go, noble already. white man. Have a whole truckload of these. Smoke them. Filters? No. Filters are for pussies, white man. You don't want that. Have this unfiltered cigarette. I would do. I would encourage. I encourage them all to do that right now. Every one of them. Change whatever. If you are selling cigarettes to the white man, remove the filters. I encourage you now to do that. Give the white man cancer. Uh, so, well, you know, you know what happens down by uh, that Spirit Mountain Casino. People are always getting killed in car wrecks down there. Well, it's for people who don't stop and gamble at the Indian Casino. Just, they put a curse on people driving by there if they don't stop. <laughs> It's true. That road is always shut down. Due to fatal accident. Listen, because of the great spirit God, uh -huh. it comes down and puts a highway curse on you. Doesn't happen in any other area. There's a guy in a sweat lodge causing the deaths of thousands of tourists driving by yes. because they didn't because stop and throw down on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So the pack of cigarettes is 420. The man puts the 80 cents on it. You pay five bucks. 84 cents. 84 cents. This would raise the tax on cigarettes to what? Well, at. Subtract eighty-four cents from two hundred two. So it would be so a four dollar and twenty pack, twenty cent pack of cigarette would cost six twenty. And they'll pay for it, of course. But so my question is then, is this then the final word for now? For now, unless we amend the constitution. In other words, does this mean that no matter how expensive the base price of those cigarettes is, that the tax will stay at Correct. two dollars? Correct. That's what we're doing. That seems like a fair but deal, it, Sarah. It would be the highest in the nation, only behind Rhode Island and New Jersey. Rhode Island? Do they even qualify as a state? Yeah, it's a beautiful state. I'm sure, but it's tiny, isn't it? Yeah, that's where the rich people live. Is it part of Newport? New England? Yes, it is. Okay. But Island's part of New England. Southern New England. All right. I just, well, that seems like a pretty fair deal, like if it's a one-time buyout. Like, look, we'll, we'll put $2 in tax on, but you're not going to raise it anymore ever again. Uh, well, I mean, is that what it says? No. Because if they can no. amend the Constitution once, they're going to do it well, again. Well, they can amend it again. Good. Exactly. I mean, it's just going to keep on going up. They should keep amending it. All right. Amend it forever. Uh, let's see. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Is it me? Uh, Rick, changing the Constitution is the problem. It's yeah. not the cigarette tax. The okay. cigarette tax is fine. The smokers are going to pay the tax. The problem is, is that that opens it up to the Constitution up to um, two years from now when they run out of money, they're going to say, well, now we're going to add 50 cents to your cheeseburger because people are fat and we need the money for health care. No, yeah, it's but, only for smokers. Yeah, but, hey, but, isn't, that, but isn't that true? Well, <laughs> Aren't people okay. fat and don't we but need that money for health care? Pick another example. Is, is that it opens up the Constitution to them to be able to add taxes Good. to any of your products just because they want to. They that's don't have the way to ask you anymore. Okay, that's, that's the way they already do it. They already add taxes to things just because they want to. Except that our Constitution prevents them from adding taxes to no, things such as fast food, soda pop, things like that. You no, know, it's your no. powdered oh, Reagan oh. and, and your... <laughs> Hold on. And your pens with the feathers on the end. I don't think the Constitution, Constitution does... I cannot believe what this show has become. I don't believe the Constitution does any such thing. And again, I have no take on this issue right now. I am 
neutral. I have no stance on this as of yet. By the end of the program, I'll come up with something. I have no stance on this as of now. You care about children. Correct me right if I'm now, wrong. Right now, they're using the smokers as as the guinea pig because they know that they can get the non-smokers to vote this in and change the Constitution. Okay, but, and smokers will pay the extra tax without complaining. But correct me if I'm wrong here. When you say the Constitution doesn't allow them just to put tax on, on like, a hamburger, well, where does it say that? I mean, you know, the government can tax whatever they want. They're the government. They're the same place that they say that they can't just take and add taxes for health care onto cigarettes. You've got to change the Constitution to allow that. They can't do it. That's why they're trying to change the Constitution. I do believe that a constitutionalist would tell you that anything not expressly prohibited uh, by the Constitution is therefore permissible. Isn't that the case? And I don't think the Constitution says, like, you can't tax ice cream. No, but it, uh, it, it doesn't say you can't tax cigarettes either. That's true. Wow. Okay. This you, is you know, really all, making my head hurt. All the sections of this Constitution have been changed at one time or another. Yeah. All of them. No, it's true. It is, it is an amendment. All. So, and, all right. Well, so there you go. So you're opposed to it because you think that they're going to tax uh, fat people next. Well, is this a personal issue for you, go. sir? No, it, not a problem with me. I'm all, uh -huh. I'd rather tax the fat people than the tobacco people. All right. All <laughs> you right. Know, I think there's more of them to pay than there is of the smokers. Okay. Thank you. All right, there you go. No, I really, I honestly have no dog in this fight as of yet. Well, look, it's not going to affect me one way or the other. No. I don't really care. I just don't. It's like the cigarette ban, which we're not going to talk about today because we got all next year to talk about that. I just don't know how I feel about that either. Hi, you're on Hello, the Rick Emerson uh, Show. Lars? Is Hello. this the Lars Larson show? Hi, Dick. Oh, wait. Yes, this is you. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. I, I don't know what your show has become, but the cigarette tax, I mean, you're already paying taxes every time you buy a pack of cigarettes. I mean, like you have... And like, that has, I don't think that's even in the Constitution. I don't know that, but... Every pack of cigarettes you buy has been taxed. You can look right on yeah, the I mean, it's bottom like, of the package and there's a, a stamp on it. It's a governmentally regulated product. It is. So anything that the government sells you, it seems like the government can, uh, you know, they can tax you if they want. It, and they do. Yeah. Now, this whole thing about amending the Constitution, I think that whole angle is just where the money is going to be spent. Well, here's, here's a question I don't have, or, or I don't have. Here's a question I have. Here's a question I don't have. Um, here's a question I have, and the answer, I, I don't have the answer to this. Somebody tell me why is this? Why... I sound like Zoe Brooke. Why always the amending? What I don't understand is we already know that if you just raise the price of certain things like gas or porn or cigarettes, people will buy it regardless. And the government has been – the government has had no problem raising taxes on cigarettes in the past. I guess I do wonder why this is necessary. In other words, what if the government just said tomorrow, like without amending the Constitution, what if they just said, well, look, we're just going to start charging you two bucks in tax. Deal with it. Like what? I don't understand why they don't just do that. Why the extra step is necessary? And you know that's the point I don't really understand either. I think it has to do with what the money will be spent for because they're creating a new program or trying to fund a new program. This healthcare for kids. Yeah, but those, those things never work. Wasn't the lottery going to take care of children? No, that's for well, schools. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and we rebuilt them all. I mean, and what a bang up job it's done. Didn't we have that story the other day about some school that's called a quote dropout factory? And you mean the school in my neighborhood, you walk by there and there's guys swinging on each other with a chain padlock out front every day. So, yeah, that well, doesn't really seem line to be working They want so more far. money, and this is uh, just another way of getting more money. All right. Thank you. Thank oh, you. We're going to do a handful more. Did you know that Section 8 and Section 8 of the Constitution? Section 8 is what Klinger was trying to use to get out of service and mash. As of 1859, 
certain persons are not to hold real estate. As of 1959, certain persons. Certain persons. By certain persons, you mean the Irish. Uh, The uh, repeal uh, came in 1946. 1946. So certain people were permitted. Does it specify the certain persons? It may have in the original Constitution, but apparently it no longer shows who these certain persons were at that time. Okay, this is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Did did it specify to the best, from what you can see there, who knew that, you know, what Certain persons. Can we excerpt this whole segment out and just send it to like a a PSA or like wherever we we get accolades for our, our work? Because, you know, can I just tell you, and I don't mean to sound like an ass, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. This is fun. We're discussing the... Con- I am having fun discussing uh, politics and the Constitution and government. Maybe we'll get a beaver statue. <laughs> the beaver did... Now, let me ask you this. Yes. From what you can tell in that Constitution, when it was talking about certain people who can own land and certain people can't... I'll read it to you. Did it specify the people who were allowed to? Because I'm mm-hmm. again, imagining that's a short list. Or did it specify the people who could not? It says here, Section 8, certain persons not to hold real estate or mining claims or working mining claims, Constitution 1859, repeal proposed by SJR 14, 1945, and adopted by the people November 5, 1946. It does not say what it originally was. But So it wasn't a list of people who could own land. It, was a, people of, it was a list of people who could not. Right. Could not. Well, that's interesting, because, I mean, really, just the way so this country was running back the original then. to find out. Well, exactly. and imagine how long that list must have been. Well, but I mean, but that list must have been endless. Yeah. I mean, really, if you assume, and I think I can assume this correctly, if you assume that basically the only people allowed to own, allowed to own language is whitey and white well, people white look men, like straight out of deliverance. Ex- exactly. Really, it was just rednecks only. The list of people who could not. This shows how retarded they were. Mm-hmm. This is really. This is how you really know that bigotry and stupidity go hand in hand. Because really, just in terms of saving paper, you think that they would just say, look, only the white man can own land. But instead, they, they write it exactly the wrong way, and they have to use three and a half reams of paper by listing everybody they don't want to own land. No, this might have been reworded in 1946. Maybe in 40, well, you know what, maybe it meant, uh, maybe, they were, maybe the Japanese were included on that during the war. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had to modify it because I'm assuming that it was like if you're, you know, I guess if you're a woman, you could probably own land, maybe. Well, well Japanese the 40s. O- own land here. Be- because... But they were interned, though. Right, when the second war, and they brought them up to the uh, the convention center. Not the convention center, way up to there. the convention center. We have some glorious prizes for you, including internment. Nobody call that place where the yellow line goes. And this bag of pencils. Okay. It's the, uh, the exhibition hall. I don't know what we're the talking about now. Center. Well, that's what they brought. How do we get from the, the Japanese internment to the convention center? Well, because they were is that what's t- happening this weekend? No, <laughs> right between the bead show and the dog fair. Well, that's where they were taken. Friday we'll have scrapbooking. Saturday Japanese internment. Mm-hmm. Sunday Sunday we'll be having a Martha Ray collectibles convention. Uh, is it twelve thirty two? Have we been talking about the Oregon Constitution for twenty four minutes? It's because we're live, local, and relevant. That is true. In your face, everybody who's not us. All right. We've learned nothing. Oh, uh, I have. Well, we'll come back after the will. We'll spend some more time in this because it is voting day. Uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back. Uh, more. And, and the fact that the Oregon Constitution has never been changed is much of hogwash. Yeah. Every amendment on here has been changed two or three times. Yeah. Suck on that. Tobacco companies spending your $12 million <laughs> thinking the great unwashed is stupid and being correct about it, too. Do they, do they uh, spend any of that money with us? I didn't hear any of us. No, that's why we don't care. We never make any money <laughs> off anybody. Well done. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere.
It's the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. I had somebody email the other day asking if we can do a little thing on the website every day where we list all of the bumper music we use. Not going to happen. It's 503. I, I, I have no time. It's just too much. We use like, let's see, one, two, three, four, sixteen of those a day at least. And I have to. They would just. It's it's not practical. I wish we could. It's just not practical to do it. We're not like uh, we're not like certain other radio stations who program their music so far in advance that you you could in fact go online and see what they're going to be playing next Tuesday at this time. This we have no idea. Uh, Rick. Here's a link to the original Oregon Constitution, says this email. Here's some gems. Article 1, Section 1 states, quote, this is from the original Oregon Constitution. <laughs> let's, let's play fill in the blanks. Tim, fill in the blanks here. Mm-hmm. The original Oregon Constitution, Article 1, Section 1. Every blank male citizen, 21 years and upward, can, uh, is a citizen. Every blank male citizen, 21 years and up, is a citizen. Uh, Oriental? Is it opposite day? No. Uh, every white male citizen, 21 years and upwards, they are the only people considered citizens under the original Oregon Constitution. By the way, I don't want to be on a whole thing here, but the next time some uh, some nitwit just starts about, well, we're founded on Judeo-Christian values, which is like... like Tell page, us yourself. Yeah, page one in the nutcase playbook, bumping their gums. And again, I don't really care. But this is like the one day out of 300 days a year when we will talk about anything political, just because there's a cigarette tax and yeah. it allows us to, uh, and it allows us just to just sound ever so vaguely like we actually are engaged in the political process. But really, it, when they start that, well, you know, this was founded by good God-fearing Christians. Uh, let's see, how about this? So yeah, Article One, Section One. Uh, the only citizens, uh, only real citizens, are white males above the age of 21. Article Two, Section Three, deals with so-called idiots and insane people. Uh, let's see, Article Two, Section Six. This is the original Oregon Constitution, by the way. Article Two, Section Six states, "Quote: No Negro, Chinaman, or mulatto shall have the right of suffrage." Well, this one. And 1862 requires all black, Chinese, Hawaiians, and mulattoes, that's someone with mixed ethnic heritage, residing in Oregon to pay an annual tax of $5. If you don't pay this tax, tax, really, you will be pressed into service maintaining the state roads at 50 cents a day. Well, that works out well for the state, doesn't it? What a handy system they set up So apparently, they had some state person trying to find out if you're a quarter or more black. Okay. How do they even determine that? Uh, Apparently, somebody works for the state. What sort of weird genetic slide rule? I want to know what Article Section Article Two Section Three. Funny how they don't mention this this part of history in schools. Probably Article Two Section Three. I want to know why they're talking about idiots and insane people. Oh well, this is really frustrating. Oh, sons of bitches. Okay, so I have this whole fantastic page here where the original Oregon Constitution is laid out by article and section. You click on it, but when you click on it, what does it give you? It gives you. A scan of the original in that weird, indecipherable, swirly Federalist text where U's look like V's and S's look like F's. Well, I can't read this. Oh, that's the old British S. Well, how am I supposed to know what it says about idiots and insane people? Hold on. Oh, here we go. I can. No idiot or insane person shall be entitled to the privileges of an election, and the privilege of an election shall be forfeited by a conviction of any crime 
which is punishable by imprisonment in the penitentiary. Okay, so, the, so it's the same as this. You, I guess you can't, if you're a felon, you can't vote. Mm. And if you're an idiot, you can't vote. Uh, let's see. Let's take a brief look here at uh, Article 2, Section 6, and then we'll move on. Let's see. Article 2, Section 6, Suffrage and Elections. Jesus, the first line. Mm-hmm. Now, this country, we are deeply, seriously effed. I mean, there is just, like, something really bad at the core of this country. I mean, and many great things about this country, but many just deep, dark... You know, you hear that phrase about, like, the crazy ant in the attic? We have got so many of those in this country that we just sort of don't talk about. The very first line. They didn't even think to hide it halfway through. First line. First sentence. No Negro, Chinaman, or mulatto shall have the right of suffrage. And then, like, that's its own, that's its own section. That is the totality well, we can of Article 2, Section 6. Jesus. But of course, yeah, of course, but the Constitution can't be modified. Because that's, <laughs> that's wrong. That's what somebody should have done. Somebody who was for Measure 50 mm-hmm. should have gone back, especially because Measure, whatever, the, 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 the tobacco companies beat this down in California. Mm. Some person who was for amending the Constitution for this tobacco thing, should they, they should have done an ad campaign where they said, some people say we can't amend the con- that Big Tobacco says we can't amend the Constitution. As a matter of fact, I have a message here. Maybe they're in favor of this, and then show this thing about how no Negro shall have the right of suffrage. Listen to this. I want to tell you now about a group of men and women who are smoking cigarettes as a profession. Yes, that's a fact. You see, a leading research organization trained a group of scientists and technicians to study and record the difference in smoking qualities of cigarettes. These expert smokers became the country's first cigarette taste panel. For more than a year, under strict laboratory controls, they tested and compared leading brands, smoking thousands and thousands of cigarettes. <laughs> this Worst job ever. This fact. Chesterfield is the only cigarette in which members of the panel found no unpleasant aftertaste. Uh-huh. Now, if you don't know how much pleasure and comfort a cigarette can give you, smoke Chesterfield and you'll see. Jesus. Chesterfield smell milder. And they smoke mild. And after you smoke them, they leave no unpleasant aftertaste. So remember, we can't change the Oregon Constitution. No. This message from the uh, tobacco industry. Of course not. And Chesterfields are preferred by professional smokers. Nine out of ten doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's do these. Okay, we're going to take this one back of calls. Then I think we're done with this for now. We have other news. We have to do other news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How's it going? What's up? Hey, uh, one of the things about this amendment on the cigarette tax uh, is, a, is a while ago we amended our Constitution saying that in order for them to raise taxes, they we it has to pass by a populist vote. Is that so? If, so if this goes through, that will null and void that, which means they can get other things. They can just willy nilly tax whatever they want. Willy nilly. Um, you know. W- well, okay. Well, a. It seems okay. So we passed a thing. So we passed some thing saying that the taxes have to be raised by a popular vote. Yeah. Well, then why are they raising? Every time there's a gas tax that goes through, yeah. through the city or the county or anything else, it is on the ballot to either raise the gas tax or not. Okay. And so, well, then it seems like same thing with your property tax. In order for them to raise your property tax, it has to pass the vote. So, uh, so any tax that goes up, a state tax, we have to vote to approve. Yes. That seems like a. That's. I'm surprised the government let that in there. That seems like a foolish thing for them to do. Well, it was 
one of those things like kind of like Major 37. It was it was done through the the process that we have. Weird. What is you know? I am surprised we don't have riots and revolutions in this country like all the time. I really am amazed that people aren't just out there with pitchforks every day. It seems like this whole country, which I love, by the way, I do consider myself a proud patriot and American and all that, and, but I, I do. It, it does seem like this country is just set up on the brink of disaster all the time because we have just so many conflicting gears in this country that are, are enmeshed together. Uh, pretty much. Uh, hey, and one thing you have to remember too about you reading the original Oregon Constitution. Yes. It was written when, you know, before the Civil War. Yeah, well... When Chinamen, well, Chinese people and everybody else was coming over to build the railroads by the thousands. Yes, and so... And that's one of the reasons that. why it was written the way it was. Oh, they took jobs away from the white men. I was just they were doing jobs that white people wouldn't do. Yes. Yeah. All right. And, and you, know, we, you know, the people writing it were originally the land owners, and therefore they were afraid and hovering in their basements. Oh, oh no, no, trust me. I to, oh, no, Who I did they buy this land that? from? What's that? Who did the original white men buy the land? I was from? just going to say landowner is sort of an elastic term, I think, for the uh, for the proposition that, that brought this country into the position of whitey. I think yeah. it's not like we really per we purchased it with lead. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And also by writing the Constitution the way they did, they just eliminated the native people of this land from legally owning land. It is, as Eddie Izzard once said, you know, it's, it's stole land through the cunning use of flags. You know, flag, it's ours. Get out. So, <laughs> all right, thank you. Bye. Uh, we'll do a few more here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick, a couple hey. things. I was going to say the Indians gave us tobacco, so they've been giving us cancer for 500 years now. So that's where we got tobacco initially from was when we landed in America. Now, is that now? Are there other places to grow tobacco though? Right? Like we? No, oh, it, it was it was uh, it was grown here originally, and then they took it back to the old world when they. Is that true? So is tobacco, and I don't know this. Is tobacco, tobacco is a Native American plant? It is. It is uh, indigenous to this country. Indigenous to the, indigenous to this country, and so when they traded with the Indians. Indian gave him tobacco. They liked the tobacco. <laughs> and not, and not just, to the and really to the rest of the world. Here you go, rest of the world, have some cancer. Yes. Excellent. Okay. And I was going to say, uh, and actually, it is the the, the problem with taxing is that uh, the, with the taxes, it's easier to amend the constitution. The, the, it requires a lower majority to pass an amendment through this way uh -huh. than it is to pass a tax through uh, the state legislature. Okay. They initially tried to get the same thing passed through the legislature the normal way. But they didn't have a high enough majority, so they went this route. Well, all right then. Well, so, you mean, know what? The, the I'm... problem is not the, 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 that we're trying to put on the Constitution. The problem is the Constitution is too easy to amend. All right. Or just well, about anything. But, I'm for look, whatever causes more ruckus and violence in this. Oh well, yeah, I mean I, those commercials fill me with a white hot rage. I, even if I didn't agree with it, I'd still vote yes on fifty just to stick it to the tobacco companies. All right. Well done, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. Two more, and then we got to move on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick. Hello. How are you? I'm adorable. How are you? You are very, uh, right. but not quite as much as Tim. Well, thank um, you. Anyway, this measure 50, got, <laughs> my only concern of this one is, okay, look at it statistically on who smokers are. Majority of smokers, well. Hold on. Listen up, Sarah. Tell us more about who smokers are, sir. I'm listening. Are less than stellar educated individuals living in a poor to low income family. Now, not necessarily that's most smokers, but... In their own little realm, they're higher percentage of them smoking than there are middle class and upper class people. That being said, we're now taxing the poor to support the poor. And that's, that's my biggest problem is I don't like taxes that tax the poor for, for government funded projects. I definitely am in agreement that we need to do something for our children, but 
when we're going to tax the poor. It's not that great. So to tie it into the Constitution, you know, it definitely would make the dead white founders very happy and keep them quite upright in their graves, taxing the poor to support the poor. I don't really – well – at the risk of wading into this, because I said I didn't have any opinion, and we really, I'll make this one statement, because then we are really becoming a program that is talking about something serious, which we do try to, it's funny, I met a guy, I met a guy last night, actually, and I was talking to him, and he goes, hey, he didn't know who I was, and he was talking, he goes, what are you doing, I go, I do this talk show, and, and he said, what's it like, and I said, he goes, well, like, I said, what do you listen to now? And he goes, well, I listen to Sean Hannity. And I just felt so bad for him. Just what a sad life that must be. Not even politically, just because that show is so tedious. Just so terrible. And I said, well, we don't really do anything political. Let's, you know, we talk about politics. So here I'm doing an hour on the Constitution. I will say this. Uh, the idea uh, that anything that funds health care is, quote, taking care of the poor uh, is reflects i think uh reflects i think an outlook on the american healthcare system that is not necessarily accurate and is it's unduly rosy the idea that um anything for healthcare is is for poor people at this point in our history is i don't think really true uh i think it is the vast i think the vast bulk of people need help with their healthcare at this point i don't think that's a i don't think it's a poor problem anymore well yeah but the the funded money from the government isn't going to go to somebody who can turn around and make payments to a hospital for something that happened to them. They're, they're going to give it to the children who it otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity to even go to see a doctor yeah. for a checkup. So, you know, they're who's gonna, in favor of that? You know, I, I'm definitely in favor of doing something for, for child health care, but just to, to tax the people who are getting taxed, it's it's kind of kind of shifty. All right. uh, no worries. Anyway, y'all have a great day. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. We're done. Done with that. I bring him back for like 10 minutes later. Not now. Done for now. Hi, Tim. How are you? This is for cigarette advertisements? I suppose it is. At manly times like these, when a cigarette means a lot, at you manly times from L&M. It's the rich flavor leaf that does it. L&M has actually more of this longer-aged and extra-cured tobacco leaf than even some unfiltered cigarettes. You get more body. More body in the blend. <laughs> more flavor. More flavor in the smoke. More taste. More taste through the filter. Get lots more from L&M. And L&M's filter is the modern filter. All white inside and outside. All white. So only all white. pure white touches your lips. So get more body, more flavor, more taste. Get lots more from LM. Lots more. I'm gonna have to try some. <laughs> Remember, only let all white touch your lips. As it should be. Jesus. I wonder if that was a little bit of subliminal advertising. A little bit of uh playing to Whitey's fear there without actually coming out and saying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these cigarettes weren't made by poor people who don't look by like you. Um no, they look like normal white suburbanites. When it says at the beginning, when doing manly activities like this, what is the activity he's referring to? Getting a haircut. Really? His son is getting a haircut. So he's watching the barber. At manly times like these. Okay, yeah, but pause. So this is. So here's what's happening. So there's some Floyd the barber guy. Yeah. Cutting the hair of this nine-year-old blonde Aryan youth. And then, like, Dad is in a tracksuit standing right next to him. He's wearing a Mr. Rogers sweater. Of course, he's standing there. With a tie. He looks some Bob Dobbs-looking guy standing right there. Manly times such as this. 
to your children the importance of smoking. All right, wonderful. Beans a lot. All right. Here's uh, Tim Riley, kids, on well, KCMD uh, Portland. A 600-pound cow fell off a cliff and onto a minivan of a couple vacationing in northern Washington to celebrate their one-year wedding anniversary. The Shahalan Fire Chief Charles Everson Jr. and his wife Linda were lucky they weren't killed by the cow who smashed through their minivan. Uh, the chief uh, added up the couple from Michigan missed being killed by a matter of inches as they drove on Highway 150 near Manson. They were, they, let me understand this, they were from Michigan, but they were vacation, taking their one-year anniversary to Chehalis? Uh, no, Manson, Washington. But that's near Chehalis, I, I guess think. it is. The, the cow fell, not from the moon, Dude. but 200 feet and landed on the hood of their minivan. They were checked out at Lake Chehalis Community Hospital as a precaution. The van was heavily damaged, including a broken windshield. Uh, Charles Everson kept repeating, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. A year-old cow was reportedly missing by a, a breeder. I, oh, it, it uh, was put to sleep at the scene. Well, of course. It <laughs> fell off. It fell off. Fell off I'll off. skip the joke, but blah, blah, blah. It tipped off the... Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that's that. All right. Well, here's something that'll shock everyone. Gresham is the only city in the Portland metro area that lacks surveillance cameras along the max line. I'm stunned. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, the investigation is incomplete about the uh, 71-year-old man who got beat up because, although TriMet has funded camera projects elsewhere, they've been unable to pay for cameras in Gresham. Apparently, they're more expensive there. Uh, but they have received some money from the Division of Homeland Security to protect us from native Greshamites. Uh, let's, oh, although uh, TriMet data shows that reported crime on the max has declined, recent violent incidents from Hillsborough to Portland and now Gresham have prompted changes in the way they do business. So apparently, uh, they have come up with uh, something to keep the public happy. So here. do they just have some crime map or something uh, as far as TriMet go? I mean, something with colored pins. In other, and it's just a huge circle of red. Or snatching <laughs> beheadings. <laughs> Brandings is so. Is there so much crime in Gresham because there are no cameras, or are there no cameras because they just figure it's a lost cause? I, I read some weird article yesterday that blamed it on the gentrification of Gresham that there is so much crime there. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is now wait, hold on. Is this the future gentrification? Because clearly they can't mean any sort of current gentrification. Yeah, they blamed it on uh, bad behavior is blamed on other people. So uh, I, I wish I had that. I'll go back and find. Are it. they claiming that gentrification, like somewhere else, has pushed a bad element into Gresham, or that ge- Gresham itself has somehow been gentrified? Because that's clearly not the case, unless the I'm. The fact mis- that that glass has been put in windows and and doors <laughs> that lock on homes is a gentrification in Gresham. <laughs> I have to I have to drive through Gresham on the way to my useless shrink. Yeah. And man. I got to tell you, that is just like that is like driving through the the first, fourth, and ninth circles. You know what I mean? It's just it's just concentric layers of damnation. Yeah, it's somebody else's problem. It's my problem. I mean, maybe I mean I don't really live in I don't live that close to Gresham. I mean, it's uh, by someone else. Uh, you know, I guess I, I mean, what's on the other? Let me ask you this. I haven't. I've only gone to Gresham once, and that was to buy a dog. What's on the other side of Gresham? Hell. Like 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 if I'm driving up Stark. Yes. And Stark goes into Gresham. What what happened? What's on the other side of that? Sarah? A mass grave. <laughs> the the edge of the world Gresham where you is. fall off. Remember oh, when we did the uh, where did the poker show? 
Remember when we did the poker program? Uh, don't you just start heading filmed, toward Mount Hood? Filmed then? entirely in Gresham. Filmed USA. on location on the mean streets of Gresham. Oh. Uh, that, you know, like Stark when you get to like 100 and whatever, 61st, 62nd, 63rd. That's I thought Gresham. It just, it just turns into a series of highways and then you start heading out toward Mount Hood. Is there a, so there's no city on the other side of Gresham? There's the big sign that says way out, way out. <laughs> no, not that I've seen. It's just a huge cliff. The, the Ed World's End. All right. So I guess my point is this. There is... Nothing on the other side of Gresham to, like, I don't know, what is my point here? We were talking about about gentrification, where the people from Gresham are going to go, if there is any sort of gentrification that happens here, which I have not seen any evidence of that, by the way. In my many sojourns through Gresham, I have not seen evidence of anything being improved, anything being fixed, painted, oiled. I, I, I don't think there's any gentrification happening there. I think that's like the bottom list, of the, the, the very lowest priority in terms of Portland. So, all right. So anyway, just don't go there. So here's a little uh, lip service from TriMet. What should we do next? Let's convene a safety summit. Just what we need, more, more meetings. Uh, let's see. They'll work in conjunction with other jurisdictions served by Max. In the meantime, thousands more will perish aboard while they're holding their meetings. <laughs> Survey all max platforms and transit centers to look for opportunities to increase lighting, improve sight lines, add surveillance cameras. They already know what they have to do, yet they're holding more meetings to discuss it. You know, when you talk about the max going through Gresham, you know what I picture? It's just that scene from Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds where just a huge flaming train that's on fire, just <laughs> barreling, barreling through the train station at like 500 miles an hour. It doesn't even stop. It just blows right through, engulfed in fire. <laughs> Uh, so a TriMet uh, general manager, Brett Hansen, says, quote, I want everyone who rides TriMet or would like to ride TriMet, I'm sure a lot, to feel safe, secure, and they can call upon any TriMet employee for help or to answer a question. Uh-huh. So uh, that's that. Like, how, do, how do I get off this train? Please, will you stop? Just stay up the damn thing at night unless you want to Do get you have killed. a belt that I can use for a tourniquet? Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir or madam, as the case may be. Hello. It's a sir. Hi. I am strongly offended by your uh, constant belittling of the good town of Gresham. <laughs> I like you yourself have to follow it up with a little chuckle there because you couldn't say it with a straight face. No, it really is true. You really got to go past the max line. Once you get past the max line, it really is a safe place to I don't be. think you can get past the max line. If I think you live through the max ride. Yeah, that's what we call a ring of death, sir. <laughs> There's no, no it, getting it, over it. It's sort of a moat on wheels. The end of the line is right there by uh, in Gresham, and once you get past that, it's green pastures, my friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> green because of the many bodies that have been buried there and are fertilizing the soil. Let me just say this. I, look, I've spent a lot of time in Gresham. I have friends who live in Gresham. Sarah and I have uh, conducted at least one, worked in Gresham? one failed television project that was filmed in Gresham. I'm just saying you got to admit that there is a certain sort of Oh, it's the fourth largest city in Oregon, located between the big city hustle to the west and the solitude of the countryside. <laughs> the area, I think the area you're more thinking of is Rockwood. There's a certain earthy grubbiness to it. Where is Rockwood? Rockwood is the crime central bit, right where the Max Line runs. Where do you, where do you live? About, <laughs> about, about where do you live? It's like, I'm like 242nd. 
and uh, Stark. 242nd? 242nd? I, didn't, I thought they were running out of numbers by then. <laughs> when did the numbers stop? Yeah, what it goes out to like 362nd. And at I that point, the city, High School. the city just sort of went like, F it, no one's going to get out here. No <laughs> one out here can read. The good life of our citizens depends heavily on our commitment to a vision and the willingness to follow through. And on a gun in every home. <laughs> Uh, hey, uh, I got a, I got a quick observation for you. I was driving downtown the other day, and I saw a panhandler. You've seen uh, that picture of the guy that says, no need to lie, I need money right. for a beer pot and hooker. Right. I saw this guy stand on the corner. It says, we'll take verbal abuse for spare change. That's fantastic. <laughs> and the funny part is I actually saw someone roll their window down and hand him a dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs> Worthless bastard! <laughs> Son of a bitch! All right. Thank you, Corey. Have a good day. It's good to be proud of your community. Uh, all right. Hey, look, you don't have homeless guys squatting in your driveway like I do, so, I mean, it's all relative. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. If you take two, or if you take Stark, it'll send you through Gresham, and then you keep going, and then you go across the Sandy River, you know, across the Stark Street Bridge. Sure. yeah. And you're on your way to Corbett. You're on your way to Corbett. The Simpsons Oh, I, I have some bad news for the citizens of Gresham. A meeting... The Commission on Citizen Involvement and Community Progress scheduled for tonight has been canceled with red lines drawn through. <laughs> There's huge red lines through this on the Gresham community I'm calendar. I'm sorry. There will be no more involvement and community progress. The building has been raised. Uh, all right. So, you, so you, you go through – if you make it through Gresham, then you re- through Gresham. your reward is that you're in Corbett. Well, yeah, you end up across, you know, across the uh, the Stark Street Bridge, yeah. across the Sandy River, and then, you know, doors lock, windows up, look forward. Um, <laughs> Drive as you, fast as your car will go for the next 12 miles. Yeah, now if you take Division Street through, then you're going to end up, you know, past the Gresham Station there, the hub of commerce, uh-huh. through, you know, Gresham downtown and whatnot. If you take Powell all the way through Portland, then you end up in, you know, past like the Mount Hood Theater, and then keep going and veer right and... Then you go up to Mount Hood. Now that's that is the uh, the route that I typically take uh, when I go uh, when I went anyway to see my useless stupid shrink who kept billing me even after I stopped going. I would take Powell and I would just drive and just oh, drive and drive and freaking drive and drive and it was just endless. Um, and then you do drive by you know the one the one thing is there's a there's an abandoned drive-in movie theater on the way there which is kind of interesting. So all right, excellent. and then well and then if you go south or I guess it's north of Gresham you got. Wood Village, Fairview, and then, uh, you know, if you take, like, Halsey, you pass through and eventually hit, you know, Troutdale, the Troutdale Outlet Mall. So <laughs> there is something on the other side so of Gresham. There is a relative pot of gold at the end of that There's Gresham something. rainbow. Excellent. Thank you, my there friend. Then. All right, there you go. I think you just sort of petered out at the end. Wonderful. Ah, uh, fantastic. Um, hey, uh, Richie Bristol, you do me a favor, you drop uh, drop our friend Peter Carlin a uh, call, find out if he wants to do a thing here as we get toward the bottom of the air. He's going to weigh in a little briefly in the uh, writer's strike here. Just drop him. Thank you. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. 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 Hey, um, I know exactly where the safest part of Gresham is. It's called Sandy. Okay. That's uh, I drive all over Gresham for my job, and there is no safe part of Gresham. Is your name is your name Scott? No. It says here on the screen your name is Scott. That's not correct. That's not correct. All right, excellent. Thank you, thank <laughs> okay. you, Miss. I appreciate it. Well, that uh, not to knock that woman. I don't mean to knock her. Her call was great, but it was, apparently the person who was on that line was named Scott, 
and the description of the call was, Scott, Liz and Gresham, moving because of you and your program. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I don't mean to sound disappointed that we talked to that woman. I just I was hoping to hear from Scott, uh, whose life now is forever changed because of, uh, because of us. So there you go. All right, let's do one more here, and then we'll talk to Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Well, Washington State District Representative Jim Dunn of the Couve refuses to resign with what he has acknowledged as an inappropriate comment to a lady at a House Appropriations Subcommittee on Education last month. The married Republican admitted he told the woman, who was a stranger to him, something along the lines of, quote, I bought you a drink because I wanted to take you home, unquote. Sexy. Yeah. All right. And he's from the Couve. Of course. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess the bar for sexiness is set relatively lower there. So as long as you get all your teeth and no visible scars, I guess you're lucky. As long as you're not paying for that drink, you know, with, with a hook. Uh, all right. It's 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. With a heart full of hate and a head full of cherry-flavored pudding, Peter Carlin, TV critic for the Oregonian. Hello, sir. Hey. Hey. So I know you're kind of under the gun today, time-wise. Oh, well, you know. I know you're under the gun, out on the run. You've got a bad reputation and a sticky situation. You're going to set the night on fire. And I'm, a, and I'm an outlaw. You're an outlaw. Uh, so let's talk uh, real uh, briefly about the writer's uh, strike that's going on now. Okay. Uh, and so this is, and see, I guess I hadn't really foreseen that this would hit the late night shows uh, the way that it did. We were just talking really? to somebody. Did you, give it, did you give it any thought at all? No. I gave it like four <laughs> seconds of thought. <laughs> I gave it four seconds of thought, and then I just sort of moved on. Um, I, I was floating this idea earlier, and I guess maybe he won't because he's standing in solidarity, but I had floated this idea to one of our CNN correspondents earlier that a guy like Letterman, you would think in some way might be able to make a little bit of hay out of this, that he could, this might be grist for that weird sort of well, slant ways kind of humor that he's got where he can make a show with no writers somehow. Well, yeah, which is precisely what he did in 1988. Is that what happened? How long did the strike go on in 88? It was like 20 weeks or something, right? 22 weeks. And so what did he do? I don't remember he when out, he did that. He, he, he would come up, come up on stage and just kind of wing it. And in the 20 minutes or half hour that we usually do comedy, they would just like have a guest. And like once a guy shaved him on camera. See, how great is that? Right, exactly. And he's brilliant, so he can do that. I think somebody like, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if Leno, Leno used to be funny, but, but I don't know whether he's capable of that anymore. The thing about Leno was is he was, and I think still is to some degree, a real working comedian where he actually yeah, goes yeah. out on the road and does that. And I'm not a big fan of his yeah, comedy. Yeah, he might actually be able to do a great job. But he's but kind of know. a workhorse. Is that, is that just sort of out of the question, though, because they are are they standing kind of with the writers on this, just out of principle? Or? Well, you know, it becomes kind of a ticklish issue, and I don't quite know. I think actually from what I heard, I read this somewhere, that uh, when Letterman and Carson were doing those shows, Carson did it too without the writers, that their writers, you know, they're also great friends, that they were surreptitiously sending in material <laughs> just because they didn't want the show to go down sure. the toilet in their absence. So, you know, I mean, there's there's loyalty and there's there's all kinds of loyalty, and it could be that the writers may secretly be saying, hey, you know, go on and do the show, because probably because they know for a fact that they're, well, you know, what happens on those late note shows isn't necessarily going to change anything that's going on in the negotiations. You know, it's not going to, uh, you know, it's not going to be that big a deal in the whole context of what's going on. What there isn't, though, right now, there isn't going to be the chance for any uh, 
This is not a chance for any sort of up-and-coming writer to sort of make their bones by jumping in into oh my the fray, no. because you'll be just being blacklisted like the, to hell and back, right? Oh, I would hope so. Yeah, so, I mean, this is... I mean, people say, well, this is a chance for promising young writers to get in and scab their way to the top, and that's uh, clearly not going to happen. No, one would hate to see that happen. That just seems unappealing. Well, and, it's just, and just that the WGA, as impotent as they are in some ways, just you know, to screw those guys right back as soon as the strike is over, so... Mm. That's not going to happen. You think? Now, they don't work like that down there. Of course not. Nah. It's a free-loving. It's a free-loving community. They're very, you know, it's tweety. It's a very tweety, you know, deals on a handshake type yeah. of thing. Yeah, of course. So, all right. Well, I know, I know that you don't have a, a whole lot of time here. Um, I had something else that seemed really exciting and interesting that I was going to bring up with you, but now it's gone. Gone. Wait. Yes. No. The, I got the Comcast business. No. no. Oh, are we, what is the deal with them moving MSNBC to channel like 940? It was 128. Actually. Why did they do that? They did it because, well, it depends who you ask. Um, they say they're doing it because they want to create balance on the analog and the digital tiers. They want to um, put more news. You know, so in other words, they wanted to get like more like another news channel or something up there on 128 or move move that channel, move MSNBC over to where like Bloomberg and some of these others are and up on the, the digital tier, but um, other people, other interpretations I'd read had to, uh, it's, uh, it's complicated, it has to do with them clearing space for more pay-per-view channels and more HD channels down on the lower part of the dial. Now this is, this is like, so if you watch MSNBC or if you did and you don't have digital cable, it, like you're screwed, right? Yeah, and then you have to pay them a certain amount of money, which could be as low as a dollar a month to get this device, which uh, which can uh, allow you to see the digital tier, um, or else it may cost more. I think from what I've been – because the, the people at Comcast told me, oh, it's only a dollar a month, it's only a dollar a month. But I think that's if you have one TV. If you have more than one TV, then the price goes up, like, exponentially. I wondered if maybe this is a thing, like, because Keith Oberman is on MSNBC. Yeah. Destination viewing for some folks. He's got a – a niche that is uh, not huge, but is very loyal, and I wondered if maybe this is a way to, uh, you know, to sort of shake some money out of people uh, who who were not paying for digital cable, who didn't have whatever. Well, for some people, they're, they're, they sort of interpreted a kind of political conspiracy, and oh, they're taking the one liberal, you know, the most, uh, you, you know, uh, the, the you know the best known liberal and the sole uh, seriously liberal commentator on cable news, and you know, and and sort of exiling him way as far up the dial as they possibly can. But on the other hand, maybe it is. They feel like, well, heck, you know, those those sort of liberals in the Portland area don't mind coughing up another buck or more to, to keep watching Olbermann every night. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's really confusing, and Comcast is kind of a... Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing about cable rates, I mean, let's not personalize it with our local deliverers, is, is that the rates have just gone up by massive amounts over the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, it's absurd. And they keep saying, oh, well, we give you more channels, more channels. But it's like the channels they give, it's like the jewelry like sales channel. No it's like the wants. booger channel. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> stuff that nobody wants. And it's like, you know. Uh... Well, and of course, so that, and that it means that we're having to pay. That's why, you know, because we can't get a la carte programming. So it, it, to keep getting FX or AMC or something, I have to keep paying more as you said for, like, you know, the Dust and Weed channel or something, uh, which just, you know, makes the whole thing an untenable proposition, as they say. It's just, 
you know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like, I mean, between this, in fact, I was mulling this over when I was uh, uh, at the gym 20 minutes ago, that um, there's sort of a whole story in just how this latest, these latest episodes of, of corporate greed sort of makes me feel like they're going to greed themselves all the way out of business soon. Well, i got to tell you, speaking of our local uh, cable provider, I will say this, simply uh, making this observation as a journalist, they're fighting, they're fighting that war on a couple different fronts because I don't know if you were following there's this whole story about them throttling Internet traffic. Um, and if you haven't looked into that, uh, I would suggest that you do so. Yeah. Um, there are um, reports now verified by, I believe the Associated Press verified this, that several cable providers, including our local, are in fact, um, and it is depending on who you ask, it either is or is not a violation of their own terms of service, they are uh, artificially choking the amount of Internet bandwidth that users are able to use if they decide you're using too much of it. Mm. Uh, even if you are not exceeding what you are allowed under your, agree under your, your Internet access agreement, uh, like if you're sharing files or something, they just have decided to start choking it off at a certain point. Mm. So, And there's a whole... I'm telling you right now, that's a thing that is brewing right now, but it's going to burst into the mainstream any week now. So you ought to be uh, be looking into that, my friend. Wow. <laughs> that's way more technical than I could ever possibly I know, I know. Be. I'm doing a bad job. But really, honestly, I'm telling you this, look into, look into to bandwidth uh, uh, throttling, as they're calling it, because uh, uh, that ties into what you're talking about uh, right now, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to bite a whole bunch of folks in the hindquarters. You mark my words. Okay. You're not really marking them. I can tell. Well, uh, <laughs> What is this internet thing of which you speak? It's okay. I'll send you. I'll send you a thing. Yeah, yeah. All no, right. I know. I get it. It's um, and it is important. And they do try to do wicked things. I think the trouble with the internet is that it's vast and it's huge and it's free. And that's bad news if you happen to own a media business. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. I know you got to run, so uh, we'll uh, we'll get out of your hair, my friend. Uh, read him in print in the Oregonian, online at OregonLive.com. Fear him always and everywhere. <laughs> yeah, right. I have a personality disorder. Peter Carlin, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye now. <laughs> and then the angry slam of the phone. I love that guy. I don't care if anybody else loves him or not. I do. That's enough. Fantastic. Well, let's get these calls. I don't have time to talk about this David Copperfield thing. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hello. Hey, talk to you about uh, crime on TriMet buses and, yes. and how they do it. Anyway, I also just made it through Gresham. I'm in Sandy now, so the air's a little cleaner and the sun's a little brighter. You, you, can, you can now roll down your window and unlock and breathe in a little more relaxedly. Truly, I just pulled into a park, parking lot. and yeah. uh, just, just really, anyway, TriMet, uh, what they do is if it uh, didn't happen on TriMet property, it's not involving TriMet. It didn't happen. Yeah, but if you're, on, but if you're on the max, that is TriMet property. Yeah, but what what the police departments do is they is they consider crime within a quarter mile of the max tracks as crime that's involving the max tracks. Where where TriMet just says if it doesn't happen on our property, it has nothing to do with us. Yeah, but I okay. If I'm in a max station, a that's within a quarter mile and it's on your property. And if I'm on the actual max train itself and a guy sticks a screwdriver in my ear, that is okay, still but, on your property. But the Statistics are saying that crime is dropping on TriMet property. Okay, so not as much is happening on the physical TriMet property, but you take one step off and you're on a city sidewalk, and you came in on the Max train, 
they're not counting that as oh, crime. Oh, I see. I see. So if I, so if I get off the max and a gang of hooligans is waiting for me with a chain, that doesn't that didn't happen on that. That, that doesn't ha- That doesn't count as being max crime. That's handy, isn't it? That, that's exactly right. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's, exactly. that's wonderful. Fantastic. Those are the those are the same guys that you know Warner Brothers who decided somehow that Forrest Gump didn't make a profit, so Tom Hanks didn't have to get anything out of it. Well, see, they're having massive problems at all the transit centers, oh, Hillsboro, really? all those. So what the local police departments are doing now is they're just assigning officers to be there 24 hours a day. Yeah, wonderful. They, they write reports in the offices and stuff, and there's just cops there all the time, and keeps and that's driving the people away from the, the, the Max property, but they're, you know, God, Lloyd Center just going crazy <laughs> over there. It's just, it's just insane. Yeah, that's so. a really peaceful place to begin with. All right, thank yeah. you. Bye now. Okay, bye. All right, there you go. Uh, two more, then we got a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. My proposition is very simple. I suggest that we... Bust up a bunch of panhandlers from the Portland area, ship them down to L.A., and get them jobs as writers. I have a great – no, go ahead. Their signs are more creative, and they'll work for malt liquor and ham sandwiches, so you can't go wrong. Somebody – I forget who made this joke. It might have been Dennis Miller that made this joke, that eventually the writers are going to continue to go on strike, and they're just going to be walking with a bunch of blank signs. So the signs yeah. – yeah. All right, excellent. Duly noted, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's a genius idea. One more. I got a great idea, too, but I'm going to save it before we talk to Jim Roop later. Not as genius as that, though. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Hey. I got a couple of things for you. Yes. Um, I have my Comcast agreement here, and it says that my bandwidth available with their special power thingy that they charge me for, 495 extra a month, I get 12 megabits a second uh, download speed, which means I can you know, do the streaming television and the whole nine yards. But to upload, I only get 384 kilobits, which is just slightly faster than a 300 baud modem mm-hmm. for uploading. So no file sharing there. And the other thing, uh, being a denizen of, of uh, Gresham, and I live basically within uh, oh view of the 195th and Katama TriMet station mm-hmm. uh, here in Gresham, uh, I have a perfect line of sight. You know, with a large caliber rifle, I can thin the herd really easily. It's just I'm waiting for the flag to go up. I'm not telling you to do that. In no way am I instructing you to begin the cleansing. Thinning the herd. This is not the time of purification. You will receive a signal. I am awaiting your signal, O Master. (laughs) Bye now. You're great and good. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. I'm going to keep an eye on that guy. I'll find him useful in the future. There'll be something I can use that guy for. All right. Uh, shall we break? I have... The, okay, here's what we've got to get to still. i got this great thing about David Copperfield. Have you seen this? No. David Copperfield's uh, writer? His contract writer? No, but wasn't he just being charged with, like... He was being accused, wasn't... not charged. Accused. He was being accused by a woman of forcible sexual assault, I okay. believe. Okay. Uh, not okay. charged. No, I haven't read his writer. Writer's role was hilarious, though. It's pretty great, actually. It's backstage instructions and a writer for David Copperfield. And then I got this great thing about this drug that kids may or may not be using now, which is fantastic and revolting. Okay. We got that. Uh, Jim Rube coming up. We'll spin the wheel of time and do a top five. And... Uh... And something else. Oh, and I got this whole debacle at my house that I got to describe it. I don't have time to do it now. Well, take a break. Uh, it's the Rick Emerson Show. We'll be back after this. 503-733-2970. Back after this. The Rick Emerson Show. You stay there.
Hi, hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Still to come today, CNN Radio Correspondent James Roop. Also, we'll spin the wheel of time and do a top five from some point in our nation's illustrious musical history. Uh, What else? Is it possible that that's it? Well, that's all I've teased so far. Oh, and I got this David Copperfield thing and this truly horrifying drug story. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, downtown drivers who are tired of all the construction projects will get a holiday break. Starting on Friday the 16th, a moratorium on most roadway and traffic-related construction is intended to ease the traffic headaches during the busy shopping season. Hold on, let's stop right here. They're doing a moratorium where on what? Downtown. So you'll flock back to downtown to shop. No, you won't. Who knows why that's pointless? Raise your hand. I don't know. Because the, the, because the streets are still going to be disasters. They're still yes. going to be torn up. Yes. All they're doing is they're just going to... So really what this is, is they're just taking... I don't mean to sound like a crank. You could shop at the boring new Macy's. They're just taking time off from working. Yeah. They're just adding on to how long this is going to take. You know what it is? This is like taking snow days when you're a kid. You just have to make those up at the end of the year. So they're just taking two weeks off from repairing the roads. It's just two weeks later uh, that they're going to have to work when they finally get back to work on this. The roads are still – it's not like you're going to be able to drive down there. The roads are still going to be all torn up. Mm-hmm. F that. That's stupid. That's just dumb. All right, fine. Fine. So that's that. Oh, some light rail work near uh, uh, PSU and Union State will continue. Of course. Of course, the break is temporary. Uh, starting June 3rd, all the construction will be back in full swing. Hooray. So there. The man who wore a gorilla suit and thought it would be funny to grab a five-year-old boy at a Lakewood, Washington store has been sentenced to 30 days of home detention. Laugh now, funny man. Isaiah Michael Jackson said it was a gag. This guy's name is Isaiah Michael Jackson. It's a stunt similar to one he saw in television. He meant no harm. It was in August when uh, he put on a gorilla suit and went out with some friends to the B&I shopping mall in Lakewood. And snatched the boy right out from underneath his parents' watch. Who just has a gorilla suit lying around, first of all? Like, I don't even know where you would buy one of those. That is a good question. If you had to buy a gorilla suit today, Tim, where would you go? Do you even know? No. That's what I'm saying. Where I wouldn't even know. I would have no idea where to buy a gorilla suit. None. Zero. And this guy just has one laying around. Well, apparently, the store that he went to did have a gorilla named Ivan as an attraction for 27 years before sending him off to a zoo. Okay. So there. That answers part of that question, doesn't it? All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Oh, one half of all in the U.S. now say they strongly disapprove of President Bush's job performance and historic low in the Gallup poll. The latest survey finds Bush lower than any other previous president in the strongly disapproving category, dating all the way back to uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, if anybody remembers him, oh, way back when. You just looked at your watch. No. Was I wrong? What? I thought you looked at your watch. Oh, oh, I just now? Uh, yeah, I was looking at my watch just now because I wanted, I was trying to figure out. What time it was? Yes. Also, I was trying to place the top five in my head as to where we need to get the top five I know, you're figuring out whether or not you done. get betwe- the top five in between Tim and Jim Roop. And Jim Roop. That's Maybe what I was you do it right now, then. No, no, no. No, no I, nothing could be as important. I wasn't trying to make you feel unloved. I simply wanted to make sure that we had time to do it. I never feel unloved. It's okay. We can plunge on ahead with the news. I want to hear songs. No, it's okay. I'll wait for you to do the news. I'll do one more story and then. All right. The countdown. Fine. 
An Illinois school district has come under fire after it punished a middle school student for hugging a classmate. 13-year-old Megan Coulter was, Coulter was forced to serve two detentions after she hugged a friend as kids were leaving school after class. Megan's mother, Melissa Coulter, said the school system has gone too far from banning kids from hugging each other. I mean, what's next? You're not going to allow students to high-five, shake hands? Where do we draw the line at what is a public display of affection? Hugging. Uh, Megan says she's confused as to why she received attention for hugging two of her friends. I am very upset that I'm getting punished for being a nice person, and so I don't understand it. I guess I should be upset about this, but I don't have children, and I'm no longer a child myself, so I don't really... I find it hard but we're to trying to help children with this new tax. I guess. Why do people hate children, Tim Riley? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, whoever you are. Hey, Rick. How hey. you doing, man? What's up? Yeah. I have a couple things for you. One, um, I read two of the books that you have recommended in the past, and both of them were, like, absolutely awesome books. Which, which books did you read, sir? Uh, a long time ago, you were talking about The Right Stuff. I went ahead and read that. Tom Wolfe, yes. Yeah. And then I read uh, Into the Wild. Into the Wild, John Krakauer. That's a fantastic book. Yes. Yeah. And also, I wanted to say real fast, that video, man. Um, so... You know, you were talking about it all last week. I was working, so I couldn't watch it at the time. This is the video that cannot be described uh, yeah. on the website that we kept warning people not to watch. Yeah, yeah. well, so I, I, I'm thinking, I mean, I've seen it all. You know, uh -huh. I'm a 30-year-old guy. Sure. You know? So I went there. I, be, I began watching the video. What, now, let me ask you this. Let's stop here. Okay. Why... Let me, let me, when you go to my website, rickemerson.com, and look at this, realize that the blog post is actually titled, Do Not Watch This Video. Yeah, and, so, but, but, it's, but see, it's almost like the, it's almost like telling, you know, a kid that, you know, don't smoke a pack, pack of cigarettes. Uh -huh. You know, what they're going to do, they're going to go out and buy a pack and smoke like crazy. Okay. So, you know, I watch it thinking that there's no way that could be possibly worth it. So you, you felt see. that you were being dared. You felt that you were, in fact, being <laughs> challenged to watch it. Yes. And, right. and, and, and so what I was going to say about it is, you know how when you hear a joke, you know, your friends tell you a joke, and, it's, and maybe it's a little raunchy, and you want to go around and just tell all your friends to be a joke. Uh-huh. Well, I don't want to tell my friends about this video. <laughs> because then they'll wonder why you were watching it and why you feel the need to share it with others. Yeah, and yeah. it's just something I just don't want to share. Yeah, no, let me tell you this. You would not believe, and I thought about actually doing a whole section of my site that was just email that I got around about the video, and all the emails followed essentially the same pattern. It was a lot of like, after hearing you discuss it, I decided to watch this video. I did not pay heed to your warnings, and I now wish I had, for I cannot scrub these horrifying images from my brain or retina. So, you know, you know, you know, you know one more thing about that, though, that uh -huh. video is... is the worst thing ever and also the best thing ever because it's the worst thing ever for obvious reasons. It's the best thing ever because it makes you feel really good about yourself. At least it makes me feel good about myself because that never even occurred to me. No, and you realize that no matter what you may see in the future, the odds are long uh, that it will ever, ever be as disgusting. Like, you'll never, I mean, it's all downhill from here. I mean, it, no matter what you see, you will never be that horrified again. And also realize this, whatever bad job you may have had in your life, and we've done shows where we talk to people about horrifying jobs they've had, you have never been that desperate for money. You know well, what I mean? You have I, never needed a box of drugs badly enough to do that. I hope they were getting paid for that. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. There's, no, there's not enough. There's not enough money in the world. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad we could scar you just a little, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's do a couple more, and then we'll do the top five. To placate Tim Riley, who demands music. I must hear music. Uh, hello, sir or madam, as the case may be. Hello, hi. Hey, Rick, how are you?
are you? What's up? Hey, I just wanted to let you know that I think you need to take your Emerson Army and start a class action lawsuit based on this Measure 50 information I heard. Since it was the Native Americans who gave us tobacco, we can therefore assume that everyone who ever got lung cancer it is directly responsible to them, so we can sue all of them and never have to work again. I think the notion of the Indians, quote, giving the white man anything, I think that's sort of a broad term for how well, that exchange came to be, sir. They traded us for it, uh-huh. and therefore... I think they a, traded it for, like, a promise that we would stop shooting them. Well, that may be, but it was still a, you know, hazardous material that they gave out. Uh-huh. And so, therefore, we should all get a profit from their casinos. Okay. I'll pass, I'll pass that along. I'll look into it. Bye. I'm not really going to look into it. All right. Uh, that was a waste of valuable time. Yeah. I thought so, too. Uh, I couldn't tell whether he was... Here's the thing about that call that just happened. I don't mean to, as Brian Jennings would say... Um, well, I can't I can't use the phrase, but I don't mean to knock on the collar. After I can't tell whether he was... It was kind of like a joke. Like he was sort of... Like it was a little sarcastic humor, a little ironic humor. Or whether... Uh, or whether that was sort of like a, like an actual thing he believed because he's like a libertarian or something. Because that's the sort of thing, like when you deal with libertarians, as I have in my line of work, you deal with libertarians, and the thing is, the hardest part of talking to a libertarian is the first couple of minutes where you're trying to figure out whether it's a gag. Like whether, like, like if it's, it's like... Uh, Watching a libertarian or talking to a libertarian is like performance art, where you're spending, a, it's like an Andy Kaufman bit, where you're spending a couple minutes trying to figure out, okay, does he really believe this, or is this like some sort of elaborate joke that he's playing on me? Uh, and then you look for the copy of Atlas Shrugged in the bag. That's always the giveaway. Do we want to take a call about the spider baby from yesterday, or do we want to do top five right now? Top five. five there you go. Four, done and done. Three, two, one, fire. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Oh, oh. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again when we spin the wheel of Wayback and land upon a random date from our country's musical history. What will the date be? I can hardly imagine. The uh, here's Tim Riley. Hello, it's February eighth, nineteen eighty six. Done. <laughs> A year of triumph, sadness, and multi-decade fatigue. Let's pour through this historical and artistic ruin, well as only we can, by counting down these the top five songs of February eighth, nineteen eighty six. These are the top five songs from February eighth, nineteen eighty six, randomly chosen here on the Rick Emerson Show. With honorable mention at number six, Stevie Nicks, "Talk to Me." Really? Yes. All right. Wait. Oh, that's wrong. Hold on. Oh, I've done. I pressed the wrong. Thank you. There we go. Uh, yeah, this whole song leaves me kind of bland already. You know, here's the thing, and let me just start this from the beginning. Here's the thing I noticed about this. Mid-80s Stevie Nicks is indiscernible. Uh, is that the word I'm looking for? That's good enough. <laughs> I need more coffee. Uh, it, but it's completely indistinguishable from mid-80s heart. This could totally be a heart. All I want to do I is make love to you. That's exactly what I thought it was. Until she has that lollipop guild voice of hers burst in. You can't really tell who this is. 
This song's got a great hook, though. I love Stevie Nicks. All guys my age love Stevie All guys everywhere love Stevie Nicks. She really is gorgeous. This sounds like a bad Belinda Carlisle song. Belinda Carlisle. Whatever happened to her? What's she doing these days? The Go-Go's aren't on tour or anything, are they? No. You're thinking of the uh, Spice Girls. And the Bangles. I think the Bangles are doing a reunion tour, too. Why? Uh, because people demanded it, I guess. This is a pretty great song. Bad 80s production. Good song, though. She really is the only person from Fleetwood Mac that had any kind of a solo career. Lindsey Buckingham just had that bad song from Vacation. She had Edge of 17, which is a fantastic song. This, not so much. What can you do? Top five songs from February 8th, 1986. Number five, Whitney Houston. How will I know? Huh. Well, you can just tell the 80s. Just All her songs sounded like three seconds in. Absolutely. Yeah, this is so like Forever Your Girl or any of the other songs. Oh, exactly. Yeah, well thing. spotted, yeah. I mean, I always make that joke about a Casio keyboard, but really, if you did have, like, one good Roland synthesizer, you could create about 80% of the records that came out during this time period. I remember the video for this, too. The video for this, if I remember correctly, God, it used to be so... The bar used to be so low to entering the pop music field or to getting on MTV. Because the video for this song... I mean, they must have just shot it in a day. It was her walking down. I think the video for this was... Her just walking through this sort of a maze of, like, flats, you know, like theater flats, and they were all splattered with day-glow fluorescent paint. And she was wearing a tank top and kind of just, and it looked like a, like a stay-free maxi-pad commercial, and she was just sort of dancing around to this, but she never went anywhere, never did anything. There was no storyline. There was no, there were nobody else, no other actors in the video. It was just her dancing in front of some, some paint-splattered white walls, and that was, like, the whole four minutes. You know what's kind of creepy about this is you remember this how she was America's sweetheart for a long time. It is kind of I'm not some anti-drug guy, but it is sort of creepy to think about at some point during this era there was a time when a guy said, "Whitney, would you like to try this crack?" Oh, I couldn't. <laughs> I mean, how bizarre that this is Whitney Houston, she of the mound of vibrators and filth. All right. Top five songs from February 8th, 1986. Number four, Billy Ocean, when the going gets tough. Yeah. The tough get going. From what uh, soundtrack, Tim? I don't remember. I believe this is from the Romancing the Stone soundtrack. Oh. Yeah. Might be Jewel of the Nile, but I think it's Romancing the Stone. Wow, 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 wow. This is sort of the legacy of Stevie Wonder. Bunch of bad songs played on what sounds like oversized rubber bands. I wonder where Billy Ocean is these days. Is he in Branson? Or is Branson only for acts that are like pre-1970? I would say pre-1970. Where is the new Branson? Is there a, is there a Branson for 80s acts? Not yet. I mean, it seems like there ought to be some new... We could make a lot of money right now with that. We ought to be creating a new, like, Branson 2. And you put it in, uh, you know, a state that nobody's doing anything with, like Wyoming. And you just, and you just, you know, you put Billy Ocean there. You put Billy Vera and the Beaters there. We could just gentrify Gresham with something like that. No, no, no. We could, can, we could assist with the ongoing gentrification, Tim.
I think Danny DeVito's in this video. This sounds like a Danny DeVito video. That's hilarious. I never thought about that, but you're right. It really does. I bought this album just for this one song. Boy, was that a stupid thing to do. Uh, counting down the songs from February 8th, 1986. Number three, Wham! I'm Your Man. I love this song. This is a great song. Man, working with Joni, I hear more Wham! than I've ever heard in my entire life. You know? Wham! and George Michael. There's no such thing as too much Wham! or George Michael. I suppose there is. Maybe working with Joni, you find out where that... I mean, let's be honest. With It's always... I mean, you're with... I, I love Joni, but you're with her. The odds are 80% that by the end of the day, you will hear Wham!, Robin Hitchcock, or XTC. Uh, all of them. Or Rufus Wainwright. Or Rufus Wainwright all oh, the time. <laughs> or any kind of show tune. Joni is a gay man. She really is. She really is. No, she's a big fan it's of all Rufus and, um, opera. And, and when it's not that, we're listening to Eddie Izzard's spoken word. Of course. Well, I'm no one to throw stones. Oh, no, I love... House. You know, and everything she plays, I love. Like, that's why we get along swimmingly. How Even great Rufus is this song? Wainwright? Yeah. Well, like You've just dropped several notches in Tim's those. estimation. You know, I don't know what Andrew Ridgely did in Wham. Is this him? Yeah, thank it's you. funny. Listen to how listen to how low in the mix he is. Where George Michael was in the studio, George Michael, who was the Paul Simon of this group, is not going to mix Andrew a little lower? No, no, lower, lower, lower. I mean, Andrew originally doesn't even need to be here. Why is he even in the group? He isn't anymore. No, I guess that's true. This always was the George Michael project. What a great... This whole album is great. This is from Music, uh, music from the Edge of Heaven. This is a great record. I love Wham. I'm an, un, I'm an unashamed Wham. Uh, I do celebrate their entire catalog. Top five songs from February 8th, 1986. Number two, Survivor with Bernie Hart. Survivor. Aaron's really mad at you because uh, Billy Ocean was from Jewel of the Nile. Is it? I said it was either Jewel of the Nile or Romancing the Stone. I just couldn't remember which. Oh, cut me a break, jackass. Seriously. I mean, really, give me credit for even being able to, you know, to remember anything about the video. Now, you know what's great about this is when you think about A, that this is from Rocky IV, B, that it's got the worst lyrics ever written, and C, that this guy is now the real man of genius singer. Doesn't he sound like the real men of genius? I mean, he is, but I mean... It is so great that they got him to do that. God, what a terrible song. What an awful song. Rocky IV does have the best training montage of all the films, though. Even better than the first one. Also, I think the same week at number eight was the James Brown song from Rocky IV, which was Live in America. <laughs> so there you go. It was all Rocky all the time That's this week. That's the same song. It, it, kind of, it kind of is the same song as well. And this is the same song as Eye of the Tiger. It's just slowed down. Counting down the top five songs from February 8th, 1986. At long last, number one, B.R. Warwick and Friends. That's what friends are saying. about my eardrums. Song. Really? Maybe you should go play this for Joni over and over today. Maybe you should be Joni to listen to this all Does she like day. This? No. Of course not. No one likes this. I like this. This was the graduation song um, for. Was it when I graduated from Catholic school? I think this might have been the graduation song 
when I when I graduated from uh, from parochial school as a youth. I played this like three times a show. Fourteen love songs. It's oh, awful. I miss Delilah. And after this, you would segue to, to True from Spandau Ballet. Yeah. Like a restroom break. Can you name the, you know the, the other two artists on this, of course? That's, uh, what's his name and the other one? What's it in the... Uh, Who is this? I should know this shit now. I just wiped it out of my mind. Boy, Stevie Wonder. And? This is a white fellow? It is a white man. Among the whitest men who's ever lived, actually. Ever lived. Pat Boone. No, not Pat Boone. Let's talk about uh, Dionne Warwick, though, and her gigantic teeth. And big nostrils. She has... Like when she'd wear those things? It's like her teeth don't even... Her teeth are almost horizontal. You know what her teeth look like? Dionne Warwick's teeth, it looks like a raised garage door. Just jutting straight out, needing to be closed. Stevie Wonder and Elton John. Tim Riley. Oh, yeah. Elton John, who appeared... There's Stevie. Right there. I think this is going to end in a second. Did, does Stevie Wonder really say there's so much more I see? Yeah. Really? I never noticed that until just now. Oh. Well, that's why President Bush waved to him. <laughs> Bam! Well, that's an awkward and abrupt end to the top five. Let's break. Hey, are we going to break? That was fun anyway. Who wants to break? It? Let's, I'm, Tim, you're right. I apologize for making you feel unwanted with my watch checking earlier today. I should be killed. Uh, okay, we got this David Copperfield coming up uh, thing coming up later. Uh, we got this thing about uh, some crazy drug the kids are all into. James Roop and uh, more of your phone calls here is Wednesday 13th. Speaking of zombies, back after this is the Rick Emerson Show. Where did all of this trouble begin? Living in America. <laughs> Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong at all. You're not in any difficulty, but you're out on bond. No, I'm not. Have all the charges been dropped? Yeah, I'm out on love. Well, are you out on love or out of love? Which is it? Out on love. Alone from night to night, you find me. Now, James, this isn't the first time you and your wife have had a problem. Are the two of you going to be able to work this out? Let's talk about some music. Your fans will have read all about this, James. Aren't you concerned about that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned because there's nothing wrong. And what are you going to say to your fans when they ask you some questions about it? I'm going to say I feel good. Papa's got a brand new bag. It's a man's world. What are you going to be doing on this tour? I'm going to be doing Papa's got a brand new bag living in America. Sex machine, get up off of that thing. I feel good. Yeah. Now, I understand that you I'm have real. already... James, I have to ask you one serious question here. I understand you already have started divorce proceedings. Does that mean that you're now eligible? Um, no. I'm, yes, I'm eligible. I'm saying uh, I want to mingle. You want to mingle? Yeah. Now, the women love you when you get out there. Why do you think that is? What'd you say? The women love you when you get out there. Why is that, ladies? Well, I'm asking you. Huh? Because I look good. I smell good. I feel good. And you sing good. And make love good. Oh. Well, there we are. We don't have to ask anybody else. We got that from the source. Yeah. Out. 
Oh, I love him. Fantastic. I love the way he just pulls the ripcord and just blows himself out of the canopy at the end there. If he had done that yell halfway through at the beginning, it wouldn't have nearly the punch. Excellent. Well done. James Brown. We miss ye still. Uh, okay. It's 503 It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Coming up here in just a moment, we'll talk to Cena Radio Correspondent James Roop in Los Angeles. Uh, Tim Riley coming back at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Jackson Watch, Brittany Watch. We got this David Copperfield thing, this thing about uh, some new drug that's going to rot the brains of your children. Coming up well. Uh, what else? Well, some other stuff. Uh, let's do whoever this is. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show, sir, madam. Hello. Hey, Rick, this is Ken. What's up? Hey, I was. Uh, Would you like to know, by the way, your name is Ken, yet on the screen. Uh, you are identified as Jeb. Nice. J-E-B, uh, Jeb. Great. Yeah. I was the guy that watched the video last week, last Friday on the 32-inch screen. Yeah, why did you do that? I don't know, you know. Have you shown it to anybody since then? Yes, I have, actually. How many people, to whom, uh, to how many people have you shown the video? My roommate, my roommate watched it, and then I had a couple of friends over this weekend, and they watched it. And the funny thing about that was, when they were watching it, one of them was like, Oh my goodness! What, what would you call this kind of thing? And without a beat, my roommate goes, "The aristocrats." <laughs> Genius. Oh, I, I mean, I was I was mad. I didn't think of that first. No, that is really really funny. I'm surprised that nobody has done that yet. Actually, yeah, I figured I'd pass that along. Thank to you. you, thank you, sir. Have All a good right, day. There you go. Fantastic. I will. That'll make my day just a little bit better. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Radio Program from Los Angeles. CNN Radio correspondent to the stars and living God, Jim Roop. Hello, sir. Boss man, how are you? How are you, my friend? How's life? How are things? How are the picketing masses? Oh, they're picketing and they're they're in mass. All right. So they uh, now it's not the same group of guys every day. Do they rotate through the writers that are on no, the picket it's the line? The same ones, pretty much, because they if they write for let's say Desperate Housewives, they're going to picket at Warner Brothers or Disney. If they write for a show that's uh, filmed at Paramount, they'll they'll pick it outside Paramount. Uh, they they go where they work. Okay, I got. Can I tell you right now? I got three great ideas. One of which was suggested by an audience member, and two of which are from my head. One audience guy called up because we talked to Kastenbaum about this earlier because you know he's in New York where the Letterman show was filmed and you know all of that. And uh, he was you know we had some guy uh, listener called up earlier was suggesting that you know you just find these homeless guys and send them down there to start to you know, put the homeless guys to work writing the signs that the writers are carrying around because the Writers Guild signs, as you noted, are really dull, but the homeless guys always have fantastic signs. And they'll make money. No, and I, you know what? There's a homeless guy I saw here um, uh, last year. We have this thing, Saturday Market, which is like this sort of open-air kind of craft fair and marketplace and whatever, and a guy had a, a homeless guy had a great sign. He said, neat, uh, let's see, God, what did it say? It said something like, Father killed by ninjas. Need five dollars for training lessons for vengeance. Oh, very nice. Something like that. It was something about how his father had been killed by ninjas and he needed to train for a vengeance mission. Um, here's my other two ideas. A. It, this is not really an idea, but, but kind of a prediction. Um, and again, I, I, this is sort of like this dumb cigarette tax thing we're talking about here. I have no stake, really, except as a television viewer, because I'm not currently an active member of the Writers Guild. I have written a couple short films and a feature film, but I, and I've registered some screenplays, but I, you know, I'm not making money one way or the other on, on anything, so it doesn't really matter to me. I have no dog in the fight, as they say. But I do predict, here's something that somebody ought to do, or and if they're not doing it already, I do predict that on the YouTube, 
if this strike goes on, and if the strike starts to impact television shows in a very real way, in other words, if new episodes of Lost or Heroes or whatever, if, 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 if scripted programs start grinding to a halt, I'll guarantee you, because on the Internet, one of the big things that's out there is all kinds of fan fiction, which is like, you know, some, uh, some horny, dateless guy sits in a basement and writes new episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in story form and just sticks them on the net as like a, as like a Word document or whatever. I will guarantee you this. If this strike goes on long enough, you will start to see fan-written and produced full episodes of TV series <laughs> created by fans posted online. You know what I mean? Yeah, you probably will. Because, um, Sarah, when, when you're done with season three of Lost. Is that where you are now? Yes, I've, I've, I'm all caught up. So if this just goes on and there's no season four, I will guarantee you, fans will start writing and then either assembling out of extant footage or creating themselves new, quote, new episodes of Lost and putting them on YouTube uh, it, just to sort of kill time. And I will be astounded if the studios don't discover some new writing talent out of this, even if it's sort of on the down low. You know what I mean? Hey, I don't, I don't doubt it one bit. Sort of like American Idol for writers. That's what I'm saying. Like, nobody wants to be a scab, and then I'm not saying anybody should, and I know they're going to get blacklisted if you do that, but some fan, just out of sheer love of the show, will take it upon themselves to start writing a new season of Heroes or of Lost and producing it or shooting it or overdubbing old episodes and they will put it on YouTube and it will get attention and the studios will find uh, new talent that way. I'll tell you, I'd, I'd look at it. I'm just saying. Uh, here's the other thing. Can I just tell you this? And I don't mean to, and again, I have no vested interest one way or the other. I'm just, I throw out these ideas as they come to me because I am sort of an idea mill. Many of them pointless and stupid. Some of them worthwhile. Occasionally one good. Here's another thing. A blending of all worlds, they ought to be making, wait for it, think about how genius this is, there ought to be now, being filmed and then shown, a reality show about a striking, about a striking writer. <laughs> think of how great that is. Just a camera follow one of these guys. Think about how great that is and how that is genius on like a hundred different levels. And really, as I said, I got a lot of notions that occur to me. Most of them I forget about the next day because they are just so much mental chat. I'll tell you, I have, I have seen and talked with a few of these writers that are fairly eccentric. I would love to follow around to see what their day is like, I, because, especially now. And plus, everybody's talk, first of all, this is a big story. B, everybody's talking about, well, you know, the people who are going to benefit from this are the reality shows, because there's all of this talk, and whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. But everybody says that this strike isn't going to affect the studios that much, because there's all this reality programming, which is... I mean, it's not scripted in the traditional sense, anyway. The guys who are working on a reality show, they may plan the story arcs, but they don't write it the way that the WGA guys do. So... The merging of all worlds, there ought to be a reality show about a writer on strike. I think that's a fantastic idea. Except I don't know that any writer would allow that because that is what that, that's going to take money out of his pocket. I know. See, so it may or may not happen. Maybe you know what? Maybe you get a guy. You disguise his voice. Uh, he doesn't show his face. Um, maybe, uh, maybe they do the thing like they did with the OJ trial, where they do a recreation every day using somebody else. I'm just telling you, I think, and plus, let's be honest, I'm just throwing ideas out now. And again, I'm uh, not taking a side. I just throw these out as they occur to me. It would be, it would be, it would be an interesting way for the studio to sort of stick it to the union if they're upset with them. Hey, look at this. We're going to make a reality show about your strike in your face. <laughs> so I would just find it perversely music. I don't really care one way or the other. I'm just, just throwing it out. Um, 
All right. So what is uh, what is the what is the the over under on this strike though? Continuing the way the last was. last was like five months or something. Yeah, right? most are thinking through the first of the year because because that's when and these now these are the writers that are telling us this. Yeah, we think it's going to last about the first of the year only because no one's talking now, but they're talking about talking uh, behind the scenes, if right. you will. And that's mid January or so is is right around the time when all of these canned episodes are going to run out. And the producers are not going to want to take the chance, the networks and studios aren't going to want to take a chance of losing eyeballs in the middle of a season. Right. So I think, and and one guy said it really great today. He said, you know, he said, this is going to last a little while because right now the producers are figuring out a way to take advantage of this work stoppage. Sure. Once the advantage goes away, they'll put on the table what they're going to give us for Internet, and then we'll go back to work. He said, and that's going to be a couple of months. Well, as somebody pointed out, I think it was Tom Likas part of this out yesterday, he was noting that it was, this strike is sort of weird. I don't know if it was a bad idea, but it was sort of weird in the sense that the writers gave them, like, all of this lead time. Like, hey, we're going to strike in six months. And then they, and then they, like, the writers then wrote six months' worth of programs and then went on strike. Yeah. Which doesn't really seem like the most clever way to go about this. Which, and, and I have a lot of friends in the industry. And, uh, you know, everywhere, you know, grips and camera guys and stuff like that. And, um... They're cool because they had all this work up front. Sure. You know, and now they're just sort of taking some time off with the money they already made. It's not like their holiday is going to be that affected because they made the money they would be making now a month ago. Right, right. You know, so it is It is kind of strange. It is very, very weird. Um, but, I, you know, i got to tell you, if, if I was – if one of my – some creative work of mine wound up on the Internet and I normally get compensated for it, and I see a commercial running, so someone's getting money. I'm not getting a piece of that. It, it would it would tick me off. Oh, hey, no, 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 no argument for me. Look, I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, the, the entertainment industry in general. I mean, we're talking about television specifically, uh, and the Writers Guild specifically. But I mean, the entertainment industry is this sort of inverted pyramid where all of the money accrues at the top, and the guy at the bottom, and in this case, the writer who uh, I was mentioning yesterday, William Goldman, who of course wrote uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and uh, Misery, and The Princess bride and the sting and i mean he's you know the, 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 uh, all the president's men he's written all of these films and he has constantly like joe esterhaus before him or after him has constantly railed about how the writer is taken advantage of in hollywood you know and he he his his point is constantly the director is of course the director is of course a visionary in a certain sense but he said you know there is no there is no movie there's no nothing without the writer because the writer is the guy who makes the whole thing up the, the writer creates the universe that the director then films right uh, you know so i mean the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle but it does seem like to use marilyn monroe's phrase the writers are constantly getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop in that town um, you know, and, and so they're just, and I know they're not asking for the world. They're just asking, you know, that if the if the studio's making a bunch, that the writers at least want a little bit. And right now, they're not even getting a little bit out of it. Look, they wanted they wanted to increase the amount of money they made on a DVD sale. On a DVD sale, right now, they make about three or four cents. They right. wanted six, and they even offered on Sunday. Look, we'll take away, we'll we'll take that off the table. Just we'll keep the three or four. Just give us something for the internet. And the studio's going, well, it's new media. We don't know where it's going to go. We need a business model to figure out how much we might make. you got to come uh-huh. up with some sort of formula to pay you. They said, there's no formula needed, you moron. We just want a percentage. Yeah, exactly. Just say, we'll give you 4% of the Internet stuff. I don't care how much you make. I'm going to get 4% of that. 
Well, I mean, very strange. Well, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I mean, I just, uh, and I gotta be very circumspect about how I discuss this, but I, I just recently uh, finished a, just an, an outside project. Um, a uh, it just came to fruition in mid-September. It was a little, uh, little outside thing I was working on. Government work. And uh, yes, and I gotta, I gotta tell you that uh, it, it, you know it, it, that is. You know, there's somebody who handles the distribution, and there's somebody who handles the sales, and there's somebody who handles the uh, physical marketing, and there's somebody who handles the online marketing of that project that is finished. And I got to tell you, uh, that is all clarified. And by the way, I need some more. I need some new soap and <laughs> and some of that stuff that cleans the drains. Jim, would you like to earn more money just in a few hours from home? For the home? price of a pair of shoes. Would you? Would your friends and family? <laughs> Jim, let me tell you about a thing called a downline. Uh, yeah, but I, but I can tell you that I, sorry, I have to be very sort of vague about this because you know I don't wish to appear like a, I'm violating the conflict of interest rules. Um, but yeah, but, they, but, they, but you know the guys I work with who handle the online uh, selling of said outside project, uh, you know that's all written down. You know they make something and I make something, and there's no middle ground about it. You know what? And if, if nothing gets sold, nothing gets made. But if something gets sold, there's no disputing how everything is sort of handled. And I guess that's what the writers are asking for—just a little explication. All the they deal. want is just some recognition in the form of compensation. And you know, of course, monetary compensation. And the, the damnable misery of this whole thing, of course, is that in any industry that is predicated on somebody doing, on somebody following a dream, whether it's music or whether it's acting or whether it's writing or whether it's radio or whether it's athletics, you know, it, you know, it's one thing you go to work at a box making factory, uh, you know, the guy at the box making factory isn't paying enough. You just walk as f this job. I don't want it anyway. Um, but, you know, but you talk to any of these guys, you know, the music industry is probably the worst. You talk to a guy like John Fogarty, where Whatever, you know, he's 19 years old, and the guy's offering him a record contract, and they put it in front of him, and it's basically just some sort of, you know, some sort of indentured servitude, but he signs it because he wants to be making music, and he wants to do it for a living. And, you know, you get these writers who probably, truth be known, would do it for free, and many of them did it for free, writing alone in some studio apartment, or just sitting there cranking out a script on spec because it's what they do. Uh, you know, so, uh, and not to be all high-minded about it, but it does seem like morally, you know, these guys are going to do it regardless because it's what they do, right? Right, uh, so it's not asking well, so much. They all want that big script. Now, the reality is, though, most of these guys are sort of middle class. Uh, a lot of them make maybe five grand a year. Right, on something that they sell. Well, it's so not year-round work. Residuals are real important to these guys, and that's why they're fighting so hard for this. It may seem stupid on the surface, and and I don't know all the stuff that's going on because I'm not in the heads of the negotiators. I'm not in that room, but I, I all I do know is it seems to me that it's a pretty simple. Concept, right? Pretty simple thing to to wrap your brain around, and I don't know why the producers, why the studios, why these international conglomerates like GE and Westinghouse and those folks that own these things, why they just can't figure that out. They're making enough money, so pop, uh, pop for four percent for these guys. Well, and as you said, it's not like they're it's not like they really have to figure anything out. They just said, look, give me four percent. If you don't make anything, then the four percent is four percent of nothing, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, but you know, but you make a buck. That's four cents for me. That's that's you know? exactly what I'm saying. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, as, as you know, just an example. Again, there's this thing that I'm doing. Uh, you know, the, the company uh, that I'm working with. There's eight percent. You know what? If I don't sell anything, they don't make nothing. If I sell something, eight percent's not the not too much to part for. But at least we're on the same page. So once again, Jim Roop, you and I have deduced that you we should we ought to be running this world. 
Absolutely. All right, my There's friend. no doubt in my mind, son. And you can feel free to pass along that idea about a reality show about a scripted writer out of business. I will, and, and the homeless guy writing the signs, too. All right, fantastic. All right, my friend, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. All right, there you go. James Roof in Los Angeles. All right. Uh, okay, here's what we got. Uh, I can do this David Copperfield thing. Yes, yes. Okay. You give me guarantees on that. Talk about the David Copperfield thing, then we'll take a break. We'll come back. Tim Riley at the bottom of the hour later on. Like us, Donna Mike, et cetera. All right, so uh, as we all know, uh, David Copperfield, if you don't know this, David, now I don't know where the story is in the pipeline. I don't know if anything's happened to him or if it's developed at all. But so David Copperfield is being... What, I guess he's still being investigated or something? I don't think they charged him with anything. There was some woman, I think, who had come out and said, hey, David Copperfield molested me. Um, I'm not saying that that's true. I'm just saying that they have, this, is, this is what the woman said. I don't think there have been any formal charges. Uh, but what the smoking gun, where would we be without the smoking gun? What the smoking gun has is this sort of, it's not even a backstage writer as such, because the writer is that whole thing that says, like, I demand nine pepperoni pizzas and a box of midgets, uh, you know, or whatever it is. This is the backstage paperwork that David Copperfield's staff uses, because they have people in the audience that participate in his illusions, uh, they, or, they, or they will bring people up, you know, when he does the, uh, you know, pick a card, any card, and, they, you know, they bring another person from the audience. So this is the meet-and-greet paperwork from David Copperfield's program. And it says here, let's see, I have uh, just a couple pages of the most interesting uh, right here. These are the instructions, the written instructions, to the people who handle David Copperfield's onstage guests that they pull out of the audience. Oh. Throughout the show, David will indicate through stage watch and gestures if he thinks someone has potential for future projects. We speak, now, as I read all of this, uh, again, I'm not saying that anything untoward uh, happens with any of these people that David Copperfield, quote, sees potential in. Um, but I will tell you this, uh, that it was it was known, and I think they probably still do this, that when Van Halen would tour, Van Halen's whole thing is David Lee Roth uh, would have this... How do I put this? Here was, here was how Van Halen would do it. Each uh, sort of roadie and each guy that was an usher for the concert would have a fistful of passes that had their name on it. So, like, if I'm David Lee Roth and Sarah is one of my roadies, you know, Sarah would have a bunch of backstage passes that said SD on them for Sarah Dillon. Sarah would then roam throughout. This is not me, you understand. This is if I was in Van Halen. So Sarah the roadie would then go out through the stage, uh, throughout the crowd, and she would look for hot girls. She would then find the hottest girls and give them her backstage pass that had her initials on it. And the deal is, if David Lee Roth ended up in bed with a girl that you had given your backstage pass to, you got 500 bucks. Oh, that's awesome. So there was like a bounty on hot girls. And so, that, yeah, each so each usher or roadie would have a bunch of passes with their name, and if you ended up with that girl, you'd, you'd, you know, you'd whatever. I'm not saying that's how David Copperfield works. I am saying this. This is the paperwork uh, if you are bringing people backstage or onstage for David Copperfield. It says, throughout the show, David will indicate if he thinks someone in the audience has potential for future projects. We speak to these individuals privately after the show. Below are guidelines for this type of meet and greet. The following supplies are used during the special meet and greet. Clipboards, pens, Polaroid, digital camera, island brochure, more on that later, and a blank photo of David. If one of the girls is a, quote, scorpion. 
What? Now, I'm not really sure what a scorpion is, but in this uh, paperwork, they do refer to a certain type of girl from the audience being, quote, a scorpion. Is that like a cougar? But, I don't really know. I'm not really sure that they describe what a scorpion is, but that's apparently a code word that David Copperfield and his people use to describe a certain kind of girl from his audience. Uh, let's see. Let's see here. Uh, and then there's a, there's a whole fact here for people backstage. Uh, like, you know, uh, will they be able to see any of the, of the magical equipment? And he says the answer is most of the props are covered after the show, um, but uh, please take them the back way so they do not see any of the magical equipment. How about this? Is this area easy access to wandering guests? The answer is some of David's, and then it's in quotes, some of David's friends like to wander around backstage after the show ends. If And then it said, this is the paper, it says, if David has, quote, a friend, end quote, backstage, try to do the meet and greet on the opposite side of where the dressing room is located. How weird is that? That's kind of random. Isn't he married? Well, as of today, yes, yeah, some of David's, quote, I mean, what, why would they do that? Why would friends be in quotes? I think we all know why friends is in quotes. I'm just saying, you know, there are friends, there are acquaintances, there are folks you know. If David has a, quote, friend, end quote, backstage, trying to do the meet and greet on the opposite side, in other words, like way away from him so that no one sees David and the, quote, friend, how about this? As soon as the show ends, make sure to go directly to the seats of everyone who might need to stay afterward. These are people that David Copperfield apparently has singled out by use of his yes, by use of his on-stage gestures. Tell them to remain in their seat and make sure to keep an eye on any of the meet and greet guests. Tell them that we think they might have quote potential for future projects. If there's more than one, you may notify another a DCW, I guess it's David Copperfield World, a member to help you ensure that they do not leave. That's creepy. Okay, not as creepy as this. Next sentence. And in case you had any doubts about the kind of people that David Copperfield was asking to stay behind and come backstage, next sentence. From time to time, boyfriends and husbands will give us a hard time and refuse to stay. <sighs> if that is the case... And refuse to stay? Well, because if they're saying like, hey, uh, you, Sarah Dillon, David thinks you have potential. He needs you to come backstage. Well, of course, if you're there with a man, uh -huh. that requires presumably the man stay behind, too. So apparently from time to time, boyfriends and husbands will give us a hard time and refuse to stay. In other words, David Copperfield is saying like, hey, uh, you, that skirt, I need her to come backstage. And the husband, you know, is like, I don't think so. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. And the other great thing about that is the wording makes it very clear that the husbands and boyfriends are, are, not. are not invited backstage. What if somebody slipped him a Mickey? Who? The husband or boyfriend. Uh, maybe I don't know. Well, see, that may be described below, Tim, because it says... From time to time, boyfriends and husbands will give us a hard time and refuse to stay. If that is the case, try your best to get them to stay and refer to the what to say sheet for help. <gasps> Please tell me you have the what to say sheet. I don't sheet. have the what to say oh. sheet, sadly. If your actions don't work, let them go. And then it says rather creepily, we can't force them to stay. <laughs> Implying that they'd really like to. I wish I had the what to say sheet, but I don't. Let's see. 
There are times when we will have two separate special meet and greets for various reasons. Because, and then it lists some of the reasons. Among the reasons, you might have separate meet and greets backstage between David Copperfield and many women for different reasons. And you mean the friends. The friends. Yeah. For example, if one of the prospects is very important, and I'm quoting now, perhaps David would like to talk to them about their possibilities, quote, privately. Okay, you know what? End quote. Next time David Copperfield co- comes through town, I'm going to get all whored up and let's see if he picks me in for a scorpion. Totally. That would be awesome. When you have models in the audience, it's important that you pull all of the models that were on spa- on stage into a special meet and greet. The model meet and greet? Mm-hmm. All right, how about this? Once you're behind the curtain, when you have pulled the special meet and greet aside, use the script below as a guideline. This is the script that you use on women who are to have a special private meeting with David Copperfield. Hi, how are you? Did you enjoy the show this evening? Good. My name is Rick Emerson. I work for David Copperfield. Oh, I'm sorry, I work for David. You're not oh, supposed you to did? say Copperfield because it's all casual. <laughs> yes. We just wanted to say thank you for your t- participation in the show, and David's going to be here in a few minutes to thank you personally. Every time we see somebody in the audience or on stage with a look and personality that's special, we like to get more information so that we can possibly contact you in the future. And so we can invite you and your family back to the show whenever we're in your city. Did you know that David has recently bought some islands in the Bahamas? <laughs> it says this. This is on This is on the strip. This is on David Copperfield's backstage script that his handlers use when talking to women out of the audience. Do you know that David recently bought some islands in the Bahamas? Well, they are beautiful. Now, we're doing a lot with these islands, TV, radio, a lot of other promotions. So we'd like to keep in touch with you in case there's a job in the future that we think you might be interested in. And then you suss out whether they uh, need to go for a private interview with David. So there you go. Oh, by the way, after some small talk... Oh, wait, how about this? When it feels comfortable, then take a Polaroid photo of them and hand it to them and tell them to keep it with their form. And then you've got this. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I skipped the whole section. And then we and then we have to break them into the news. While they're filling out the form, try to chat with them and ask them the following questions. Oh, this is just creepy. Where are you from? What brought you to town? Uh, this, this one is for Vegas. What hotel are you staying in? How long are you here? What do you do for a living? And who did you come to the show with? And then it says immediately after that, husband, boyfriend, other, (laughs) friend. Uh, After small talk, say, okay, stay here and finish filling out the form. I'll be right back with David in a moment. He'll get a picture with you. David will ask you a few times if you are, quote, ready. What? And once she is at least halfway through her form, go get David. (laughs) (laughs) David, who recently bought some islands in the Bahamas. Would you like to see them? Please fill out a size card. (laughs) I really want to find the what to say sheet to know how to get rid of husbands and boyfriends. Uh, uh, it's from, uh, well, I won't say it on the, I won't say it on the air. I want everybody with a radio show to go there, but you can see the watermark. Right in the middle of the page. Okay. That's all I could find. So I'm presuming that the rest is out there, but they didn't have any more. That was all that this particular place had. Oh, my God. How great is that? 
That's genius. We have to find the rest. When we come back, I was going to try to do a David Copper. Tim, I have an island I recently purchased. I. Uh, all right, back after this with Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. I certainly hope it's awesome. <laughs> like three, Donna Mike at seven. Stay there. Emerson Radio Program. Let me tell you about my exciting island getaway. 503-733-2970. Ladies and gentlemen, please make way for Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So David Copperfield's lawyer, David Chesnoff, just issued the following statement. Quote, uh, recently, Mr. Copperfield was the victim of an unsuccessful extortion attempt by a disgruntled former employee. We believe these documents are a smear campaign, uh-huh. which is a project of that unsuccessful shakedown effort. Was it unsuccessful? Apparently so. I don't know. I, I did say during the break we're all going to begin calling him David Copperfield as of now. I am. Why now, is that? I'm, because you know what it is? I'm going to make that joke in the public domain. Because probably uh, tomorrow or this afternoon, there's some tedious radio program that needs comedy. You know what? Usually I get upset when people take stuff from us. That you can have. I'm going to put that one out there like an unlicensed bonus track. David Copperfield. You can just have that. That's yours. Go. So even though there is a writer's strike, we're encouraging people to do that? Well, you know, try to give back, Tim. So the lawyer goes on. The distorted and twisted claim that these meat and grates were designed as a dating service with Mr. Copperfield is ridiculous. Uh-huh. In fact, thousands of audience participants were greeted in this fashion. Come on, you thousands, come forward and tell us about it. Okay. Can I just tell you this, by the way? We have this, all of these papers from David Copperfield's organization discussing how you yank women out of the audience without their husbands or boyfriends. And then there are the specials, which is when they have a private meeting with David Copperfield. It says here, when pulling the guest, it is important to be smart. Smooth and discreet, especially, quote, with a special, end quote. So, always be smooth and discreet, Tim Riley. Two students at the Southern Illinois University have been charged with kidnapping after they peddled and burned a young man with freshly baked cookies after a drug deal went bad. The suspects beat the man with a wooden paddle, burned his neck and shoulders with cookies immediately taken from a hot oven, and shaved off some of his hair and poured urine over him. It was sheer torture, say the police. The victim managed to escape and call police. Time for a snuff watch. Here's your really. Mm-hmm. Here's your snuff watch for Tuesday. Donnie Marie's dad has passed away. George Osmond was 90 years old. A spokesman for the Mormons, of which Osmond was a member, said he died in Utah. They gave no cause of his death, but he was 90. Uh, Donnie Osmond was in the studio for an entertainment show getting ready to tape a performance when he learned his dad had died. George Osmond, who looked a lot like Joe Kennedy, I always thought, married his wife, Olive, in 1944. She died in 2004, and the couple had nine children, many of whom became stars. I was actually, it's weird that you said, I was actually just this weekend on Sunday, 
I was listening to the Osmonds Double Live Around the World record. Oh. Uh, Osmonds Live Around the World, I think it was called, and uh, which is which is great, by the way, if you're an Osmonds uh, fan as I am. That guy really has to, you know, he has to have credit for keeping that family together, you know, because really, except for Marie, who is really the sort of bad apple in that group, uh, none of the Osmonds really went discernibly crazy. Oh. None of them had weird drug habits. Uh, none of them, again, except for Marie, have bizarre relationship weirdness or divorce or any sort of uh, scandal going on or controversy. And people can laugh, but they sold, you know, the Osmonds sold like 200 million records. Mm -hmm. uh, and they did so without really a blemish, a problem, a scandal, a smear, anything. So, uh, anyway, good for that guy. We didn't, he really did. I mean this sincerely. He held that family together. Yeah. Alan Wayne, Merrill, and Jay Osmond became famous as the Osmond. I wonder what all these people are doing now. I guess they don't have to do anything. No, well, they own a bunch of production companies in Utah. Oh. Do they still own that big studio in, in Orem? I, I think they just sold the studio, uh, but I do believe that they purchased a larger and better studio. The Osmonds crank out an amazing amount of films, commercials, radio production. I mean, they do a ton of stuff uh, behind the scenes in Utah. They, they do a lot of production there. They began singing at uh, Disneyland way back when and on the Andy Williams Show. Donnie joined the group at age six and later hosted the Donnie Marie Show with his crazy sister. The oldest son, Jimmy, was also a performer, and he's the one that all the kids laughed at. So, Is uh, that true? I think so, because he, he was overweight. <laughs> the fattest Osmond. The fattest of the Osmond. The saddest little Osmond. So once again, uh, Dad Osmond has died at the age of 90, so and he lived a long life. Also, actually, so uh, so George Osmond, uh, Osmond, Osmond is dead. Also, uh, just a brief, uh, brief shout-out to my pro wrestling fan peeps. Uh, the fabulous Moolah died uh, two days ago, actually. Um, it, it rose to fame, I think, in the 70s, and then, of course, in the 80s as part of the WWF. Uh, we're going to be talking tomorrow to Drew Miller, I think, from CNN about uh, some scandal and saga in the professional, world as, professional wrestling world as well. You'll be calling it 108. 108. Uh, he's a guy from a CNN. He's doing, doing Drew a Drew Griffin. Fellow. Drew Griffin. I'm sorry, it was Miller. Did I say Miller? Yeah. Griffin. Uh, he has this special called, I think it's called Death Grip or Chokehold or something. Oh, like that's inside good. the world of professional wrestling. I don't know. It's some sort of tabloidish thing that CNN is doing that I find interesting. So, anyway, there's your double snuff watch for uh, today, for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history. He's already gone. He is already gone. Not even I a, turned my back for a second. Not even a backward glance, not a raised hand. Just gone. Uh, that is coming to tomorrow, 110. Tim um, Kaiser so say. He really is. Uh, Drew Griffin, who is working on Death Grip, Inside Pro Wrestling, which I guess is going to be airing Wednesday, November 7th at 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. Uh, CNN Special Investigation Unit will look at the life of a professional wrestler. So that is uh, tomorrow. So we'll do that tomorrow along with some other things. Uh, Max Brooks, author of World War Z, coming up Friday. Uh, Are we going to talk to Byron this week? Byron Beck? Yeah. I don't really know the answer to that. Have you um, contacted him? No, I was going to, but I didn't know if you wanted me to or not. I, I don't know that he remembers our conversation from Sunday. So we might want to follow up on him. I don't really know that he remembers anything we talked about. He was too busy singing his My Vagina Has a First Name song at you. <laughs> so When was that? Uh, was that in the was, hallway? No, we were sitting up in the little, the little isolated uh, okay. nominees section, looking down on the uh, on the poor, and it was before they started doing the announcements because Laura and I were there, and then it was Pasha, Byron, Juan, and you. And when they announced Byron's category, he and Juan got up and stood in the stairs. I'm so sadly because Byron would like anticipate. He actually told me this. Byron's like, I'm gonna stand here by the stairs, you know, so if I win, I can just make a straight 
walk for the stage. And then it went to some other guy, some guy that I'd never even heard of. Yeah, so, I hadn't um, heard of him. Did we ever figure that. out who that other person was? No justice. That in was the world. in every other. Corey Smith? Corey Smith. No one knows. Somebody tried to look him up and they, they looked up Corey Johnson or whatever by mistake, and so I got a whole MySpace page from some other guy. So, no, I don't know. So, the fact that Byron didn't win, there really is no God. That's definitive proof right there. Uh, but then, yeah, it was before that that he was, um, it was after he and Juan were talking about their garden, uh, but before he and Juan stood by the staircase. Okay. So, I think you were sitting on Juan's lap at one point. And, I do love the Juan. And Byron was singing some crude variation on the Oscar Mayer Bologna. Uh, song in your general direction, and Pasha and I were looking at each other uncomfortably. Yeah, sometimes I can't tell if Byron's messing with me because he likes me or if he just seriously hates me. No, no, I think he likes you, but I think, um, and I certainly don't mean to speak for the entire gay community, that's Scotty's job. I will say this, that I do believe there is maybe, let's let's say, a slice uh, of the gay community that, I think there's a slice of the gay male community that feels uh, that they are there for, which is, and I don't have a, it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't affect me. I think there's a slice of the gay male community that feels like they can just be sleazy all over straight women with impunity. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They can hit on you, cop a feel, grope you, say all kinds of horrific things. Doesn't matter. And you know what? Maybe it doesn't. I don't and care. it's okay. Doesn't matter. I don't, don't bother me. No. I don't pay it. No, never mind. We got a break here? Yes. All right. Take a break. Come back. Uh, Lycus coming up at 3. Donna Mike at 7. Uh, back after this to wrap it up. It's the Rick Emerson Show. That part? Yes. How, when, when does the music start here? A uh, minute and a half. All right. Well, well I was going to read this whole thing. How oh, I have no time to do this. What is the worst thing you could possibly make a drug out of, Sarah? What's the most vile, revolting thing you could possibly make a drug out of? Like body thing? Bingo! Mm. Have you heard poo? about Jen? Yes, like poo. Have you heard about Gen Chem? No. I'm just I'm putting a pin in this now, because we're not going to be able to get to it until tomorrow, really. It is, of course, out of Florida. This is, I swear to God, this is real. This is an internal memo from the Collier County Sheriff's Office in Naples, Florida. Uh, this is a memo that has gone out inside uh, the Sheriff's Office in Naples, Florida, and they have now sent this to all of the schools... This can't, I mean, I don't know whether this is real or whether it's not. They've got visual aids here. Oh. I don't even know, I don't even know that I want to start talking about this. I'm just saying apparently the cops, there's one of two things. Either this is real and the children in Florida are really, really, really deeply warped. I mean, it, like way more warped than you would think Florida children would be even. I mean, I know they start warping them young in that state. Or this is just some fantastic urban legend that the sheriff's department has been suckered into. Um... So all I'm going to say is, GenChem, according to the sheriff's memo, is a homemade substance which consists of fecal matter and urine. Oh, no, that is so made up. That is so made up. The fecal matter and urine are placed in a bottle or jar and covered with a balloon. The container is then placed in a sunny area for several hours or days until fermented. The contents of the container will separate and release a gas captured in the balloon. Inhaling the gas... He's said to have a euphoric high similar to cocaine. And then there's a picture of a kid, like, with a straw inside a balloon and inhaling it. Somebody has an onion, like, outlook on life, and they got that in there. Here's the best thing. I've got a television news report about this new threat. We'll play it tomorrow. It's not made. I mean, the drug may be made up. The story isn't, though. And the sheriff's memo is real. We'll do it tomorrow. 
Uh, let's see. Um, well, that's it. We don't have time for anything else. we got to uh, gotta break it up now and make uh, way for Like Us at 3, Don and Mike at 7. We'll see you tomorrow at 11, immediately following Dennis Miller, who airs 8A, I'm sorry, 7A to 11A on this, as they say, in this uh, on this very fine radio station. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM970, Solid State Radio in the newsroom. Tim Riley, Richie Bristol on the phones. The gatekeepers, Dave Zinn. Thank you to Steve Katz, mom, Jim Rubin, Lisa Goddard. Don't let the master trend down. Watch out for snakes. See you all tomorrow and I'll be safe. Bye. How did all of this trouble begin? Living in America.